All right. Hello, everybody. Nice to see you all. It's been a long, long time since we've done a six on six. In fact, I think it's been about a month or so. And our last guest is actually on this show as well. So you, you're on back to back episodes. Seth, how does it feel? Amazing. Wow. Such a such an enthusiastic response. I what an emotion. <laughs> it's, it's emotional for you. It was hard for me to put together the uh, thoughts running through my head right now of being on here back to back uh, episodes. I, I see you're wearing your favorite Dark Zero pink hoodie. I think that's very nice of you to represent the brand of uh, the multiple land runner up. So, yeah. With that said, we have four people on the guest. Three of them have been on, or three guests on the show. We've had three of them on here before. We have a new face in uh, Meli Jenny. If you watch uh, Brazil or LATAM Rainbow Six, you will know he is one of the, uh, the premier faces of that region. We'll start with, in order of the people who are on your webcams on your screen, we have Seth, a.k.a. Super, joining us from North America. You might know him from the Sonics. They made their run through the six Invitational Qualifiers as the Super Sonics as they tinkered with a new roster. Right next to him is Melly. You'll know him as one of the main voices of Rainbow Six Latam slash Rainbow Six Brazil. He's been in the scene for eternity. Well-loved, well-liked. I don't think I've ever heard anybody say a single bad thing about him. Right next to him is another guy who I don't think I've heard anybody say anything bad about. And that's one of the most lovable figures from Australia, none other than Dizzle, the coach of Fnatic. And then last but not least, we have my mom's boyfriend, a.k.a. Fabian, who plenty of people have said bad things about. So hopefully all of you are going to enjoy our guest today. I am very excited. It was important to me to be able to get everybody back on for the pre-SI show. There is no Troy today because he is busy preparing for Six Invitational. And I thought it'd be pretty cool to get uh, four players that will not be, or four players or four coaches or four casters, who will not be competing in the event. We'll start with Super and then we'll work our way across the various regions and talk about their thoughts on the Six Invitational and how their regions are going to do. Super, there are going to be five teams from North America competing, four of which are from the US division, one of which is from the Canada division. And I think Altior is a pretty good starting point given the news that came out yesterday about their roster. So the floor is yours. If you want to discuss what's going on with NA and what you think the expectations are in regards to North America, and how they'll do at the Six Invitational. Um, I think looking at NA, I think TSM is clearly the best team right now. Uh, if I were to like rank them, I would probably say TSM is first. And in my opinion, I think they're maybe the Invitational favorite right now. Uh, and then I'd say there's a gap between TSM and then SSG and Dark Zero, who I'd kind of group together right now. Uh, obviously. Dark Zero's probably performed a little better over the past year, but SSG historically performs a little bit better on land. Uh, and then I probably put another gap and say OXG's kind of solidified in that four spot. Um, and then a huge gap and Altiora. Obviously, them qualifying was pretty surprising. Um, personally, I think the four NAL teams make it out of like the group stage, obviously like 16 teams make it out. Uh, but I think Altiora is probably one of the teams that doesn't make it out just from, just from what I've heard of teams like who have scrimmed them. Um, Cause you know, I, I've asked a little bit about them because uh, obviously I didn't know much. And from speaking to some of the other pro teams, Altiora has not been able to like I guess you'd say hang in terms of like scrims and stuff like that so 
Uh, I mean, with that being said, there's obviously like probably not a lot of pressure on them because nobody expects anything from them. And, you know, the situation they're in now where they're going out there and playing and they know they're already coming back to not even being on a team, basically. Um, that could either like motivate you to, you know, do some crazy stuff or maybe obviously could be a little shattering to your mental. So I think the, I think the top three NA are probably contenders for like the top four to six. And I think OXG will make it out of groups, but I don't expect much from them. And Altior, I just, uh, I would be surprised if they made out of groups personally. Now, the one question I have about Altiora for you is that they had this kind of miracle run through the qualifiers. Um, the landscape of NAL has been uh, a little uh, rocky the last couple months. Obviously, Tempo and E-United both pulled out. The rosters did not end up staying together. So not only do you lose those org, uh, or org representations, but you also lose the team too. And those players decide to go elsewhere. Your team in particular, when you were on the show last time, you had talked about how four of your five players, with the exception of you, all got removed from the squad, and that's what birthed the Supersonics. Now, obviously, it's kind of hard for you to make a run through and qualify as the favorites when you're still working with a new roster. DG was the odds-on favorite. Everybody thought that they were going to be able to burn through. And then they ended up having a pretty brutal loss to Beast Coast, in which I think a lot of people can agree that it was more disrupt throwing the game than Beast Coast rising to the occasion. Altior goes through this miracle run. The news that broke yesterday or the day before, I can't remember the specific day, I think it was yesterday, basically saying that the organization would not be maintaining this roster past the six invitational, as both the U.S. divisions and the Canada division are going to be merging together. Do you think that that's going to work as a motivating or demotivating factor, or do you think it'll have much of an impact on their performance at SI? It's hard to know. I think that affects different people different ways. Like for some people, if you go into something and you just know you're coming back to like nothing basically and you feel like screwed over, you know, you might just be like, you know, what's, you know, what's the point? Like I'm getting screwed over by however they see it, the org or Ubisoft or whatever it may be. And that may be demotivating. And then obviously for others, it could just be, you know, like screw these guys and they're just going to do everything they can. I think the problem with them is just like, even if they are in that mode of just like screw it, like we're gonna do everything we can, I just don't think they're honestly good enough. Um, you know, they had two; they have two players on their team who really stood out in the invitational qualifiers, which were Eska and Spirits. Um, but again, you know, their run through the qualifier, they played no pro teams. Uh, they played Rent Free, who's you know maybe in pro league. Uh, and then they played Beast Coast, who again, maybe in Pro League, but those were two Challenger League teams. And obviously stepping up from playing like Mirage and maybe like the high-level, low-level PLCL teams to going into Invite where you're, you know, supposedly playing the other 20 best teams in the world. That's like another level of competition that I just don't think they can play on regardless of like how motivated or demotivated they may be. I don't really think it will matter. Now we'll move towards uh, Brazil and not just Brazil, but also Latin America, though all of your teams are from Brazil, which I mean, Melly, that shouldn't really surprise you as somebody who is familiar with the region as Brazil is the most established part of all of South and Latin America. Now that it's all been kind of merged together, Latin America and Brazil in particular has the distinction of six 
teams representing the region. You have the largest representation of any region at the Six Invitational. You have the usual big four that we talk about quite often in FaZe Clan, Team Liquid, Ninjas in Pajamas, and MIBR. But you've also got Team One, who have had an incredible year, and Furia, who managed to make it in through the qualifiers. What are your general thoughts on Latin America? Is this LATAM's year, given how close NIP came last year? And what are you expecting out of both Team One and Furia, given the seasons that they've had? Uh, hello, everyone. Um, uh, I, I, want, I want to start with uh, Furia because uh, they, all, oh, they almost got uh, relegated. And now they are uh, competing in competing in in the Invitational, so it's pretty crazy uh, the journey from from those guys. And Furia, I think this they they are going to uh, uh, have a, a really good lesson uh, in this tournament. But um, I, I don't know if the uh, this is the the right moment for for them to to. Uh, uh, make it to to, to the to the finals, you know, to the to to the playoffs. Um, um, they they are the the underdog for sure. Uh, um, but talking about Team One, um, they they are really young, uh, and most of the times uh, they don't try. Uh, they how can I say that? Uh, they. Um, Actually, they, they, sometimes you see that they can't uh, find the, the way to, uh, to correct their, their mistakes in the game sometimes, you know. Uh, they get too nervous. Um, uh, they do some mistake that we know that uh, uh, it's pretty silly for, for them. Uh, they are really, really good team. Uh, I, I, think, I think they, they will... Uh, Get get some nervous some nervous in in the first matches, but uh, um, in the final they they will have a chance to to go to the playoffs. Uh, talking about MRBR, they just won the BR six, so they are pretty confident. Uh, cameraman now it's now on uh, MRBR, and uh, they had the chance to uh, uh, to get so much knowledge from from him. Uh, I talked I talked to him a lot and uh, I played uh, sometimes with him and the information in the game that he can uh, pass to, to to the teammates it's amazing. Uh he have so much experience to 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 give and in my BR have a, a pretty good chance to to make it to the playoffs too. Uh Liquid and uh, Ninjas in Pajamas are the the top two teams right now, you know. Um, especially because uh, uh, NAP uh, was the, the the second place in uh, in the last year, uh, they are pretty strong right now. Uh, we haven't seen uh, those teams playing uh, uh, in the uh, in the in these last months because uh, we have um, like uh, 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 the the finals from from BR six in December, so. Uh, uh, we we have only only the the chance to to see Furia playing. Uh, but phase I, I don't know, man. Phase uh, the individuals, you know, uh, talking about uh, uh, every single player, they're really good. Uh, they are uh, amazing players. But I, I I don't know how to how to expect uh, uh, they are playing like a team in this invitational. I don't know, man. Uh, 
fez fe, uh, if fez uh, play as a team uh, if you know what i mean uh, they could be one of the best teams in the invitational too but um every year we uh, we uh, we are of course really confident about our teams but they never get to the to the finals um just one team or two sometimes it's so it's it's, it's really hard to predict you know yeah do you uh do you think a team like do you think a team like Nip goes in with expectations too high on themselves? Because I mean, you look at Liquid and Nip as you said would be the two favorites. Obviously Liquid is always in that conversation though Liquid's run on LAN and their results on LAN has always been inconsistent. Nip yeah. have looked pretty good. Do you think going in that Nip are are going to live up to those expectations? Do you expect Nip or Liquid to be one of the two best teams? Or do you think like a team like MIBR who looks pretty hungry can easily topple them and, and make it to the finals and possibly even win? Yeah, like I said, we always say that the, the top two teams uh, is always going to be the, the Liquid in NAP before the matches, you know? <laughs> uh, uh, MIBR, yeah, yes, for sure. They are hungry for uh, to show how they are uh, getting better and better uh and especially with uh cameraman in the team uh i think this this is the 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 best line they or uh, ever had uh in the in the my br uh but i don't know man uh, team one could be uh the one that uh, we need to to watch in the 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 invitational because uh those kids are are insane you know uh the the skills from uh, from every single player can uh, can be uh, really amazing to see. Uh, if it, it's it's like phase. If they uh, uh, if they play as a team, it's uh, uh, in the invitational. I think they uh, can be our favorite for this moment. It'll be interesting to in watch for me because I mean, phase has gone through phase has gone through so many roster moves, and I mean, even yes. even recently was that their manager tweeted out that they wouldn't be able to boot camp properly that they might not be able to be prepared in time which i imagine <clears throat> we're going to see a lot of teams be unable to properly boot camp due to travel restrictions and health and safety yeah, precautions yeah. etc next up yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty hard uh, right now in brazil you know so you could imagine i i will say if if all members of every 20 teams are able to make it there, including their staff, then I will buy a lot of lottery tickets because it will be an absolutely incredible feat and stroke of luck. So, next, so. next up, we have Dizzle from APAC. Now you tend to be in a region that you end up speaking for quite often. Your region's obviously been carved up quite a bit. Uh, you got Cloud9 there. You got Giants Gaming there. Uh, you got Wildcard, and you got Cyclops. This is going to be the very first six Invitational that you're not going to be present at. I guess before we start talking about the teams, how did it feel for you to not qualify, and, and how has the year for Fnatic gone so far? Because it hasn't exactly been what you'd expected going into it. Uh, I mean, yeah, like, call a spade a spade, the year's been dreadful. Like, uh, a lot of people are a lot worse off, you know. Uh, we, we've got a really good org backing us. It, it's been tough. They're super understanding. 
uh, it didn't go as planned. Um, but all in all, with with the standards that we hold ourselves at, with the expectations that we had, uh, with with the plans that we had for our team for Rainbow Six for eight packets, it's fallen short. You know, by a milestone on, on every single metric. Uh, it's a bittersweet thing to be missing this this SI. Uh, obviously, we're missing it, but um, you know, coming from the country that we're in, it's uh, also exceptionally difficult to be attending with the uh, with the circumstances around the globe. So I think, yeah, all in all, like super grateful to like Ubi and, and ESL and, and being as accommodating and understanding as they have been. Um, you know, a lot of people don't know, but but our move and, and everything planned was was 18 months in advance. It, it wasn't something that happened in an off season. Um, so, you know, timing was, uh, was a little unfortunate. Um, but at the end of the day, yeah, I think we'll go down in history as, you know, the the most unfavorable competitive circumstances in the history of Rainbow we've had to play through this year. The team survived. Uh, now we're just hoping that 2021 is going to be better um, if we can just uh, get the world sorted out. That's the hope, right? The hope is that yeah. we can start to get this underway. I know in North America we want to get a land league underway. I think everybody wants to have more events as well. And it's been a year. It's crazy to think we haven't had a, a proper event proper international event in a year that's mind-blowing so but you've got four teams from APAC uh, you do have an Australian representative in wild card you've actually got a, a pretty nice cross-section of APAC you got a team from Singapore you got a team from Korea you got a team from Japan you got a team from Australia going in cloud nine had a bit of a slump over the last year and a half they seem to be in really good shape Nora Rengo has taken a major step back Fnatic is obviously out of the conversation Giants look really good as well how much of this do you think is going to translate to international competition and do you honestly believe that any of these four APAC teams have a legitimate shot at finishing in the top four and possibly even winning the six invitational um so I think in terms of their success, uh, I think APAC has a strong chance to make it out of groups, all four of them, purely on the back of the new best of one format. APAC is generally not a region you want to play in a best of one because um, it's very hard to plan for, for that opponent in that amount of time. And I assure you, APAC are, are likely not planning for you. Um, so it's really going to be about, I think, for the veterans um, to be able to, to I guess, um, understand and and pay credence to how they decide to play the game. And for the younger teams that are attending the Six Invitational for the first time is to have the maturity and foresight to not get roped into how APAC want to play the game. So I think the best of one format really suits APAC uh, as a group stage. Um, so there, there's strong potential that all four can come out. I think Wildcard will have the most difficulty, um, not based on on them specifically, but they aren't as unorthodox as some of the others can be. Um, and I think they have, in terms of making out of groups, there's there's some stronger teams for that sort of bottom four position in, in Group B. Um, but I think they have a strong chance of making it out of groups, all four of them. Top four and winning. Um, I think, like you touched on before, the boot camps are going to be a big part um a lot of our success and nearly every six invitational and anything we've attended has purely been on the back of boot camps um we go to europe usually for about two weeks every time and we scrim two to three times a day against like tier one teams exclusively um you know with the likes of, of, of fabian and whatnot so 
we are we we get our asses kicked for for two weeks straight until we finally start to piece things together in the last few days before we like sort of move out make our move out um and then you know we do some scrims before the event um so i think that's where apac will struggle the most is being able to to sort of brush up on their fundamentals and, and sort of put together their game plan and then come out really strongly in, in a best of three understanding things in the north american and european meta how they've been played you know new new um tactics that have been developed there's a lot of things that we learn um when we go to europe and then sort of figure out how to counter it how teams play adapt um so we honestly the the time the two weeks we spend in europe boot camping is is considered like months in advance of of, of what we get in apac so i think that's really going to hurt the apac teams is not having the ability to do that so i think it's going to be really tough for them to make top four i think um c9 and giants can definitely make top eight but to to go back-to-back in BO3s when it gets to the really tight end, I think it's going to be really tough for them purely just on the lack of quality scrimming experience we we have in APAC compared to Europe as well as as the, the sheer, sheer amount. Like, you can get a T2 scrim in an instant in Europe if you want to do three scrims a day. So I think that's really going to hurt APAC. There will obviously be some benefits of, of APAC playing international competition, though. There is always a step forward that APAC seems to make when they get to play you know in teams that are in north america europe and and latin america obviously because apac unfortunately does tend to to seem to be the most isolated geographically and because of that you always got to struggle to play you know games with high ping i mean i mean i know you've also spoken about when fanatic wants to scrim teams from korea and japan not even other regions still technically your same region when fanatic was based out of australia what you had to deal with in regards to the ping so it will be interesting to see what uh, experience they'll be able to get though it will be a best of one format so obviously unpredictability tends to be the name of the game so our final person to speak with and the final region to mention is europe and fabian your old team g2 will be present along with a litany and, and possibly the favorites in the entire tournament which would likely be bds you've got bds you've got g2 going you've got virtus pro going you've got makers going and you've got team empire going now, when you look at these five teams that are going to be representing Europe, what are your immediate thoughts? And do you think, just like every other region, that EU has a shot at winning SI? No, EU is going to win SI. I know that for a fact. Uh, BDS is going to take that. Uh, I can't allow G2 to take it because, as I spoke about earlier, I want to have the highest invitational attending to win ratio. So I can't have SSG win it, and I can't have G2 win it. And other than that, I don't really care. Um... But I think that uh, we have top contenders from Europe. Both BDS and G2 have shown themselves to be really strong. Um, I mean, I, I can't really say that one team is worse than the others when it comes to the rest of them either, because both Empire and Virtus Pro have performed in EUL. And we have, like, my individual team with Vitality, we've been struggling against them both in practice and in, in official matches. So hard for me to say, and now we've taken a break since the qualifiers. We, we haven't even practiced once since then. So I, I don't know like the recent form, um, but I suspect that EU is gonna have all of their teams come out of uh, of the group stages. Maybe not M makers, but you never know. I mean, they, they they slaughtered their way through the qualifiers. If they can bring that same form to to LAN, anything can happen. But playing LAN is a different game, and a team that's never really been on any sort of pressure moment. I mean, you look at them in the qualifiers, they are not the team that had the pressure on them. Every single EUL team that they played had the pressure to go to, to Invitationals. Nobody expected them to go. 
So we'll see when they come there. But I I don't fancy their chances of going super far. Every other team can, in my mind, make it top four without problems. You think all of the EU teams can make top four? I think that's that's pretty high praise. Uh, do you foresee makers going out in groups? Because makers is one of the fascinating stories that came through here, and it was not without controversy. Obviously, makers run through the SI quals caused a significant amount of firestorm on social media and there were accusations thrown around there were harsh words thrown around it incensed the entire italian community etc going into this event you talked about pressure how much pressure do you now think there is on the shoulders of makers to make it out of the group stages i mean they have a lot of things to prove right if they want to prove the people that doubted them on social media wrong they should perform but if they go out in groups and they don't win a single best of one well, there's going to be more fire or more smoke from that little fire and people are going to start, start looking into it even more than they already are. I, I mean, I'm not involved. I don't really give a crap. If people think they cheat, let them. Um, I haven't seen anything of them in, in like proper proof that they have. So I'm not going to even mention it. But um, I don't think that they have too much pressure. Like They have the pressure to prove the doubters wrong, but they still at the same time, they're coming into the event with nobody having the expectations on them. So it's like maybe they put pressure on themselves to the degree where they fall for it. Could be. I mean, I feel like the situation involving makers is is eerily similar to what we saw out of Fours at the Raleigh Major when Fours made it all the way through and made that miracle run and managed to basically go from obscurity. Next thing you know, they're in the Raleigh Major. Next thing you know, they're in the Final Four. You know, and, and you got you had some... Very interesting words for the opponents of, of fours at the yeah, time. They played like literally fucking shit. However, um, I don't think that they're the same story because fours at that time was known to the EUL teams or well, pro league teams at that point in Europe. Um, we knew who they were. We had practiced them and people had also seen them in the Russian league. Now we're seeing a completely new team with one month of practice making it to invitationals. I don't know what to make of that, but it's not the same story. So we'll go back to you, Super, in that case, and we'll talk uh, broadly about SI, because the one thing that all four of you have is that you all, I think, have a great eye on the competitive scene as a whole. You're not just experts on your select regions. You're also experts on what goes on outside of your borders. Super, when you look at the landscape of the SI, you gave us your thoughts on NA. But when you look at all of the teams that are going to be attending, do you have any thoughts or immediate predictions as to, yeah, this team is for sure going to go out in groups. Yeah, these teams are for sure going to make it to the top eight, top four, et cetera. Well, you know, we haven't seen too much with this like new meta, which is going to be faster. I mean, obviously we had the finals, but I think outside of maybe like Dark Zero, to be honest, I think a lot of teams are trying to hide stuff. Um, you know, we saw SSG, for instance, have Troy playing Ash and Fultz playing Thermite, you know. It's very normal. But, yeah. In my opinion, I think, like, the teams that are more adaptable and, like, more gun skill heavy, like the G2s, like the TSMs, and, you know, obviously SSG is known for being very adaptable. I feel like those are the, and like NIP, uh, extremely strong, you know, gun skill team. Like, I feel like this kind of meta plays more into their favor. Um, it, to me, like, I, I look at a team like BDS and they're, they're, they perform really well. But I, I think like G2, I would 
a hundred percent take G two to like outplace them going into the invitational, just based off of how I think the game plays out right now. Um, I just think that it really is in their like wheelhouse, and you know, TSM is is like kind of similar to them in their roster construction, and it's where it's like, you know, Geo for instance plays hard breach for TSM, but I think everybody says Geo's you know kind of too good to be playing hard breach where it's like all five players on their team can outgun any of your five players and i just think that's going to like i i I, like we don't know how the brackets go because of the like groups you know i don't know how they're gonna seed the brackets but i would like i'm thinking like a tsm kind of g2 final would be like I think probably the two best teams going into it in terms of how I think the play style comes out. Melly, would you agree with that? Do you think the G2 TSM is the best final we can have? Do you do you think there'll be any upsets? I completely disagree. <laughs> I'm joking. Uh, no, uh, actually, uh, maybe we can see that in, in this invitational. Uh, actually, uh, this, met, this meta... Uh, is going to be more aggressive, aggressive for sure. And we see, uh, we saw that in D two with some matches, uh, especially in uh, in the uh, in the final uh, in the final decision decision against BDS uh, of EU League EU League finals uh, that I have the opportunity to cast. This game was really cool because I like this this style of game. But uh, I think NIP have uh, the chance to to be there again uh, because of that too. Uh, TSM for me, it's the best team of uh, NA. Uh, to be honest, I I don't like to to watch too much the the, the NA because uh, uh, when you see the the, the games, um, uh, sometimes uh, uh, I think they are uh, uh, at the same level because they are always getting to to the the third map. They are always getting uh, to the overtime. It's too slow uh, for me to catch because I, I like more aggressive, my, more crazy games. Um, but I'm not saying that they are uh, they are not the a good. Uh, they are not good teams. Uh, actually, I, I think they are most of the. Uh, they are the most technical teams uh, that, that I see in this uh, in this moment right now. Uh, but like Supers uh, was saying, the 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 the, velocity, the speed of the game, the aggressive of this new meta, uh, maybe uh, it's gonna be an advantage for D2, TSM teams like uh, NIP. Um, but uh, it's 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 something like that, you know. Uh, um, uh, and I like that because, uh, that, like I said, I, I I I always try to 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 watch the the most aggressive and crazy games uh, uh, in the in the Rainbow Six uh, scene. So this invitational is uh, is gonna be really great to to watch and cast, of course. <laughs> Dizzle, your thoughts on. Your thoughts on the general competitive nature of SI? Any teams you think are going to go out right away and any teams that you think are a lock to make it into the semifinals, potentially finals? Um, uh, like I said, the, the group stage, the BO1, sort of make it a bit scary, right? I think for, for a lot of teams, one or two upsets from from some of the, the perceived weaker teams can really ruffle a few feathers. Um I, I think it, it should be in the group stages, the ones generally with, with sort of less experience um, are likely to drop off. 
I think, yeah, the the G2 are, are probably the favourites going to the competition. I think they are the best that, that Europe has to offer. Uh, I think BDS is a super strong team, but um, they require, you know, certain players to, to perform consistently, constantly, um, which I, I, I think is, uh, we saw in EUL, right, it, uh, in the finals, it just dropped off in, in a BO5. Um, I think TSM, yeah, it, su- it suits their play style. From from I, I obviously we don't have a lot of contact with NA, and we haven't seen a lot of international um, competition. But understanding how TSM play, I think it's it's definitely an opportunity. But I think this could also be Latam's best chance with the meta as well that that they've had. Obviously, Nip had a, had a really strong run last year, uh, but I think Ninjas or, or maybe even Team Liquid could be a bit of a dark horse. I think with with the meta and and I think the big thing that is going to hurt the Latin American team is, is they're not going to have a lot of that passion and crowd atmosphere to feed off of, um, which, which makes way for more of the G2s and TSMs and a little bit more experience uh, to probably lead the way yeah, without having that, that sort of crowd environment. Yeah, that's, uh, it's going to be a, a weird scenario for everybody, given the fact there is no crowd, right? I mean, we don't know. We don't know the plans yet will there even be a stage will it be in an empty arena you know esl katowice did that where they basically played in an empty arena or is it going to be like group stages where they're just playing in a booth and it's you know it's it's very different it's a very different setup right that alleviates like some of the pressure i think on people who aren't as experienced not having a crowd or potentially not playing on a stage in front of people so that could actually benefit some of the like teams that maybe haven't been to as many lane events and stuff like that Fabian, would you agree with that? Oh, definitely. I mean, I would have been happy if I could attend the LAN and it would be in Brazil without the crowd, because going to Brazil with the crowd, that's not very fun stuff, I can tell you that much. I've I received to be quite enjoyable. <laughs> I've received one or two uh, or three or they like... They love you, man. They love 100 you, <laughs> threats uh, to, to my life and uh, everyone around me and uh, everything I hold there. But uh, yeah, it, it definitely is going to take the pressure of some people. Um, it would obviously have been a perk for the European teams for the first time having invitationals in Europe, obviously. So having a crowd would have been good for us. Um, but but it, it's, it's hard to say. Um, I think that the pressure is going to be on themselves as well. So it's hard to say what's going to happen with it. The more experienced teams are probably, even if you have the less experienced team having no pressure from the crowd, they are going to put pressure on themselves, which also the more... <laughs> like senior teams will do as well but they are also you more used to that pressure on themselves so they might be able to control it better it's it's such a it could be literally either way when you look at the meta and this is something that we're going to touch on in the next conversation point because i mean the meta obviously just got massively massively upheaved and the game is faster on every single level every single region's qualifiers showed teams using the clock far more efficiently than before when you look at teams like Europe, everybody here seems to think that G2 is the best team coming out of Europe. A lot of people look at BDS. You let off with the fabled caliber Jacob line, you know, BDS takes it. Was there any truth behind that? Do you think that, that BDS is the best team coming out of Europe? Or do you agree with the other three panelists who all said that G2 seems to be the team that's going to thrive the best in this meta, have a ton of experience and, and probably be the best shot for Europe at winning the championship? I mean, if I look at friendships, I hope that G2 wins it, obviously. Um, but for my own personal gain, again, the statistics is everything for me. Being the best invitational winner per attended events, that's all I care about. Um, the, the four top teams, and I, I wouldn't be able to say which one would win the event. In my, my eyes, is uh, 
G2, BDS, NIP, and uh, TSM. And then you have some close outliners with Team Liquid. I think that um, Team Empire could do well as well, but maybe not that big of a chance. And then a team that I think is going to do good is MIBR. Uh, I've always struggled myself against MIBR because I know their fragging potential. And... They put on so much pressure on you when you're playing against them that they're very hard to control. So for me, a close outliner to the top four is MIBR. Uh, who's going to win? I honestly can't tell you. At the end of the show, we'll do proper predictions where I'll make all of you decide which two teams you think will make it to the finals and who will be crowned world champions. We don't need to get there just yet. Let's let's pivot towards the talk of the meta because a couple of you mentioned it, and I think it does for those that are watching, deserve a much deeper conversation because obviously we spent about a, nearly a year in this, you know, this this utility soak meta that was dominated by Wamai and Jaeger and deployable shields. SI kind of ended the mute mozzie meta that we'd seen previously where operators like Vigil and Castle were doing exceedingly well. Then sometime around March, April, everything swaps, you know, swaps over to the whole deployable shields everywhere because three very popular operators had access to them. Uh, Goyo at this point was largely out of the meta. Kaid got nerfed a little bit. And then we saw all of a sudden, hey, everybody's running Wamai, everybody's running Jaeger. That changed. And we haven't had a lot of competitions since Jaeger's ADSs got reworked, since deployable shields got taken off of Wamai and Valkyrie, you know, since Wamai got nerfed himself as well. So when we look at this meta, which of these teams do you think are going to prosper the most overall? And what kind of meta, especially since Zero is available to be played and we didn't really see all that much of him. What do you think the meta is going to look like for Six Invitational? And we'll start with you, Seth. Uh, I mean, I think you've kind of seen signs of it. But well, one with like Wamai having shields removed and some of the other uh changes they've made i think bands can be like a lot more flexible uh you know bands are pretty predictable for a good six month period everybody just was getting some sort of utility out of there or now you could you know you could see anything banned really maybe more target bands things like that um i think you're obviously going to see like a lot more twitch play uh, i just think in general you can have a lot more flexible lineups because you don't necessarily have to bring like 20 flashes or you know like every every kind of soft denial because you have to clear everything and originally when i was thinking about that i thought it would play into like oxg strength where they're kind of like they have good players but i don't think they necessarily work that well together it's kind of just like they're all over the map and they win their gunfights and you know that kind of play style makes it hard to clear utility and stuff like that so i kind of thought that would play into them but they in my opinion, looked pretty bad. Um, not to say that, you know, they can't improve from that, but um, it, it's just the, these teams that are, like, really fast-paced and really, you know, individual-skilled, it's going to play into their favor. Um, I, I noticed that, like, basically nobody mentioned SSG, which are, you know, the defending invite champions, and, you know, they still have the same roster from the last Invitational that they won. Um, and I think they're kind of being underestimated, you know, obviously they were at the top of their game playing like a very structured, clear everything kind of meta. Cause they have a good semblance of players who can play very organized, but you know, they're, they definitely have like gunners on their team and Troy's, you know, one of the best 
at adapting in terms of games. So I think like SSG is kind of being underestimated right now. Like I could, if you told me SSG won again or made the finals, it wouldn't surprise me at all. I think they're like a wild card. I was actually going to mention SSG because I thought it was funny as we're, as we're running through all these teams, SSG is just noticeably absent. And it, you know, the one, the one thing not to defend SSG, obviously. And I, I mean, I, I'm kind of glad he's not here because we can talk about SSG so objectively. But the one thing that SSG has always struggled with is playing online. You know, this was a team that would do really well and many people would say overperform on LAN and then underperform online and always struggled. Well, over the last year, everything's been online. So it's no wonder that SSG has kind of lagged behind. And obviously, I think they benefited a lot from the Mute Mozzie meta too, which is something that they hate when we talk about, but I think needs to be addressed. So we can talk about SSG because I also want to talk about NIP as well. We can revisit those grand finals that we had last time. But Melly, for you, Latin America has always been in many ways defined by how good your fraggers are and how fast your teams play. Is this the Latin American meta that we see right now with how aggressive every team can be and how fast the action can be? And if so, do you think that this is the best chance that your region has ever had at winning the Six Invitational? Oh, for sure. Um, they, are, uh, they really liked uh, the new meta um, because they were complaining a lot because of the traps, the shields, and, all, and the other stuffs. Uh, I agree with uh, Seth to, uh, to, uh, about the, uh, the operator bands. It's going to be more flexible. I think I think uh, we we starting to to see uh, some uh, operator bands uh, because of the the specific specific map they are playing. And this is gonna be good too. Uh, but about uh, about the 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 matter. Uh, yes, uh, Brazil Brazilian tend to to uh, get better and better with the the fast pace uh, uh, game. You know. Um, like uh, Fabian uh, said before about MIBR, mm -hmm. they are really aggressive. They try to to um, uh, not not uh, not give you the chance to think, you know. Uh, uh, and this is this is why uh, every time the uh, someone talks about a Brazilian team. Uh, they always think about the the the, the aggressive, the fast-paced uh, strategies. Uh, it's like we are not thinking so much uh, about the strategy in the game. We just go, we just rush. But uh, actually, this is our game, you know. This is our style. Uh, in every FPS we uh, we play, uh, you you can see uh, uh, actually in, in other games like CS:GO, the the Brazilian players. Uh, are always aggressive, you know. They are always try to to get one on one every time they they, they can. So uh, um, if this is the 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 matter for us to to be the champions, maybe so. But we have to see, man, because uh, uh, the uh, uh, the mindset of the of the Brazilian players have to be a one hundred percent in the game. Uh, we 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 are too emotional with crowd or or, or without. Actually, uh, I think uh, with Brazilian crowd we are really good, really better, of course, because of the energy that that can, they uh, can pass to the players. But uh, without the crowd, 
maybe could be better because if they are uh, losing the game, they can be more calm. Uh, I don't know. I, I I think I think the the crowd it's not the it's not gonna be the the problem too. But yeah, this meta is gonna be good for us. Yeah, that's a good point um, to make. That <clears throat> I mean, Fabian obviously said he mentioned the Brazilian crowd. I have never heard a louder venue than when we were at the Olympic Stadium in Rio. And if you you got to be in the crowd for that event, you were right there in the middle of it. We were in a room underneath the stadium and i just remember it, it was the phase match it was the finals it's phase g2 and i go into the room and we're underneath the stadium and i hadn't even put the headset on yet and it felt like the walls were shaking and it was just like it was like thunder and an earthquake were hitting at the same time and i That's put crazy. on the headphones and the headphones had a direct feed to the floor of rio and it was just i i I don't know how you could have casted that and been able to hear yourself at all because it was just, it was so loud. Same with Sao Paulo. The first time we did Sao Paulo, I remember there's a thousand people in Max 5 and we're up elevated in our rooms next to each other and Matt Andrews goes out to, to say something to the crowd and the crowd just explodes and that's my first eSport event and it was it was insane, right? But yeah. in, the, in the SSG NIP match, a lot of people said that when the crowd started to get behind Space Station, that's when NIP slowly started losing it and SSG were emboldened by that crowd and they kind of took over the same way that Black Dragons was emboldened by the crowd back in Sao Paulo, the same way that FaZe was in Rio. So it will be interesting to see without a crowd if it doesn't drag down a Latin America team the same way and they might be able to, you know, kind of keep their focus and just never really let up the way that you might say Nip did or FaZe did or or Black Dragons did in their matches. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, that, that that's my uh, uh, um, uh, my hope in the in this invitational uh, uh, to see uh, if if a Brazilian goes to the finals, if a Brazilian team go to the to the finals, if uh, it's really that hard to to play against the crowd, you know. I want to see that because we are not going to have the crowd uh, in this event. People, people said that I was the reason why the crowd started chanting for Space Station, even though I wanted Nip to win. So that was the funniest <laughs> part of all this is that I, I had to, I had to piss off everybody because I went into that finals wanting Nip to win the whole thing and wanting to see Latin America win because you, you know, Melly, you know that. Yeah. I say that Liquid aren't world champions and Liquid fans don't like that. If Nip had a 1SI, then Nip would have been world champions. And I wanted to see yeah. that. And everybody's like, oh, he's so biased towards Space Station. I'm like, you idiots. I want Nip to win. I'm not biased towards Space Station at all. I wanted a Brazilian <laughs> team to win SI. Anyway, we'll see. We'll see what happens this year. But I, I do agree. I, I do think that it is your ultimately your region's meta. But I don't think we can talk about aggression without talking about APAC and, and Dizzle, one of the things you brought up, which is another point that I want to get to eventually in this in this show, is how a continuous string of best of ones for the group stages will ultimately make some good teams go home. But before we get into that, obviously APAC is a team where they're going to frag out. You talked about this, Dizzle, early on where you said, okay, well, 
you know, you don't necessarily want to play against APAC teams in best of ones because they're not really going to prep for you. They're just going to do what they want to do and, and they're going to win. And when you've got teams like Cloud9, when you've got players on that roster that are absolutely capable of taking over a game, you look at Giants gaming. Hysterics feels like the man can 1v5 most teams in the world. And if he plays the same way that he played online, Hysterics actually had, if, if I remember correctly, the best stats of any player in the world after the first year of this new league format. And a lot of people don't know that because they don't watch APAC. Hysterics' stats are absolutely mind-boggling. How much do you think that aggression is going to help APAC? And more importantly, this new meta we're in, how much do you think it might upend conventional wisdom with these teams and possibly result in some good teams going home because they can't be as aggressive as they want in a best-of-one format? Uh, yeah, I think it's it's definitely going to favor APAC. I, I won't give, you know, too much of, of how they do things away, but I think with the map pool that we have, with, with how they play the maps, with, with the meta that we're currently in, I think it's it's very well suited. You know, I, Jimmy, um, Hysterics had, had an incredible year, but I think also overshadows uh, Martin, um, Speakeasy as well. Speakeasy also put up really solid numbers. Um, so, you know, Hysterics definitely isn't a one-man show. Um, Hysterics is, uh, is absolutely incredible, but, you know, Speakeasy is also capable of, of dropping a, a plus 20, like, comfortably as well when, when he gets going. So both of them are quite lethal and, and, and you know, like, uh, Luna Metal and, and Ysera, um, um, have years of experience. They've been, they've been, they were at the first six Invitational, right? Um, and, and they've always generally been the bridesmaid to us a lot of the times. Like, we weren't a huge fan of, of how the APAC lands went because we always ended up matching them. Like, the Giants would have uh, as much experience as we did if brackets were done differently at APAC lands. So, you know, they've got a wealth of experience um, and, and really solid lineup. Um, and I think, you know, C9, same thing with, with Charlotte and stuff being brought on. You know, um, Geo is, is a huge fan of his. And some very big experience there as well with um, with Envy Taylor and, and Sweet Black, who's who's changed his name. Um, He's no, is he static now? He's static, right? Static, now, yeah, yeah, static, yeah. Um, and Cyclops as well. You know, I think a, a bit of a dark horse. Those those five players on Cyclops, like they can all frag. They they don't miss. Um, the, the CAG boys are, are are something else, and I think probably one of the most aggressive teams in in the world. Um, and all of them very, very capable of holding their own. You, you don't generally have uh, a game where, where Cyclops have one or two strong players and, and, and sort of the rest are, are enabling them. They are all very capable five for five and they're happy to go, go look for their ones and win them. Um, so I think the thing with the best of ones is, is you won't know their map pool. You won't know how they play their map pool. Um, you, you generally won't know what you're about to load into. Uh, and, you know, I spend a fair bit of time of my mornings at, when I'm working watching... Um, FPL in NA, and I assure you that is quite structured compared to what APAC is, is going to do to you. You mean they're not going to receive global bans for hopping out windows? Oh, <laughs> like, like, yeah. It's, the, these guys aren't, aren't after, like, they, they hear you step on a pebble outside and that's intel for them. Like, they don't, <laughs> they don't need a cam or, like, you make a noise outside and, and get ready for not just one coming out a window, right? Every um, window's but blown it seems... Out. It seems um, a little poor fundamentally, but I assure you they know what they're doing. They've been doing it for years, and and it's just how they look at the game. A lot, a lot like Latin America do with it, with a lot of quick pace and a lot of rush. A, a pack, you know, have a, a different philosophy with with how things are done, and 
I think best of ones is a really good uh, good place for them to enable it. Um, I still think a, a few teams can be quite dangerous in best of threes. Um, you know, I wouldn't write them off the moment groups are finished. Um, but I think it's it's just about at that point. I can imagine there'll be a lot of rounds where APAC take the first man or two advantage, but they just got to make sure that that they play their fundamentals after that and, and close the round out or don't get too traded quickly back, which is, is something that SI generally has tended to happen a fair few times is kills don't usually come in one or two. Usually the scoreboard is just going to light up with like five or six kills at once. So um, I think that's just where APAC has a little bit of growing and experience to do is, is once obtaining that, that upper hand is, is then playing it out correctly. But yeah, I think um, I would, I, I'm very excited to watch the APAC teams that are going in action because I think this meta is, uh, is really good for the three, the, for the three main APAC North teams that are going wildcard, not so much. They, they've previously thrived in a lot more structured environment, uh, a lot more fundamental um, and a very strong team when they do it. But, you know, losing Ethan recently has been a bit of a, a bit of a hit for them, but but they're they're doing strongly. I think Ethan was uh had a, a lot to do with how they they played the rounds as as well as you know his play style was was a little bit difficult for sort of other teams to to nail down. But uh, I'm super excited to yeah watch the APAC teams in their group stage and best of ones because I, I think there'll be a lot of upsets uh, and some very exciting rounds. I think this might be the first time that we're heading into a, any event ever where. I mean, outside of Nora, Rango, and Fnatic, who we usually assumed would make it out of groups, you know, I, I was always, I was always hesitant to give a lot of appreciation to your team in particular, because I, I was aware that you had players on the team that if they got cold or they got a little bit nervous, that the whole team would crater. You know, you'd have, you'd have one or two games where, where maybe Lusty or maybe Magnet would, would kind of dive too deep into their own head and then the whole team would fall apart and when it's, you know, two best of threes and you're gone, the one bad best of three, you know, isn't great. And you also continuously had really tough brackets. You know, it was never, it seems like some of your contemporaries in APAC were given much easier rides and obviously still couldn't make it through. Fnatic and Nora Ringo tended to have decently tough brackets and seemed to be going up against good teams. Because of the group stages, the way they are here, you've got 10 in each group you're playing nine best of ones, you know, and I think that there are weaker teams than APAC. You know, this is the first time where I'm looking at Giants, Cloud9, and Cyclops. We're on the same page with Wildcard. But I'm looking at Cyclops, Giants, and Cloud9, and I'm thinking at least two of these teams have a reasonable shot of not being one of the first four teams eliminated. Now, that's no. also partly because I'm looking at some of the other teams that are going and thinking, mm, they are not necessarily as strong. But this is this is very out of step with where I think APAC has been before. And I'm actually really excited on to see what the Giants can do, because I don't know if you'd agree with me. I know Cloud9 is coming in as supposedly the top contender uh, for APAC, but I genuinely think that the Giants have the best shot of going the deepest out of all of the APAC teams. For those that aren't aware, the Giants used to be Arrowwolf. That's a name that many of you, if you don't follow APAC, will probably ring some bells here. But I honestly think that Giants is, is capable of making a, a deep run. And, and I'm with you. I'm excited to see as well. And the groups definitely help APAC this time. Instead of some of these APAC teams just being the first to go home in their groups, now there's a really good opportunity for them to go deep into the event. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I think especially with Gig coming on for Giants, he's been really good for them. I think in terms of polishing up the fundamentals, they'd previously done it all on their own. So it allows you know Lunar Metal to focus a little bit more in the server. Um, and Gig can do a lot of work outside. 
Um, but yeah, I think fundamentally they are the best team um, that APAC has. I think C9, um, overall, I think they're exceptionally good at um, playing as a five-man, which I think is, is what catches a lot of people out. Um, but, you know, also very, very difficult. The Korean scene has improved drastically. You know, we've seen um, Damwon Kia just signed a team recently. Korea is making a lot of waves, and, and the level of competition in Korea is rising significantly. Um, but I think Cyclops will be for an entertaining game as well. I think the likes of Cyclops, the likes of... of um, Cloud9 have a lot of potential in the BO1s against like the SSGs and stuff, right? Who will be favorites going deep into the competition. But I think they have the potential to take maps off those teams, off the phases and things like that in the best of one format. But coming into the BO3s, I think, yeah, Giants uh, are probably long odds, although, you know, C9 recently has had the upper hand. But I think Giants with a bit of prep time and stuff should be able to make a better preparation and better run heading into SI. I'm excited to see, and I think best of ones are obviously going to change that. We'll talk about best of ones next, but obviously, Fabian, you get the last word on this particular topic. Where the meta is at right now, how your team is doing it, how all of Europe is doing it, how you think it could benefit teams like BDS, like G2, etc. And uh, yeah, how you think it'll ultimately impact SI, given the fact that the meta is as fast as it is. I mean, how my team is doing it, you can clearly see on the scoreboard. Uh, I mean... We're deeper down than some ships that were sunk in World War II. Um, the meta is very fast, and I think that the teams that have players that all have the opportunity and the, the knowledge to take situations in their own hands and steer the team to what they see as an opportunity is going to do really well. For example, if you have an entry fragger that's not going to mm -hmm. communicate with you, like, this is the opportunity I see, or like, this is what I'm going to do now, come with me. You need to just be able to have people that can call stuff on the go. Um, if you get stuck in, the defending team will swing you and they will kill you. And, and that's basically it. Um, when, when Seth said uh, about SSG, yeah, I totally forgot them even on, on, my, on my list of the four top teams. Um, I think that they would be one of the outlier teams, still of maybe not the top four in my eyes, but they could make it depending on how the, how the brackets go, right? But the meta overall, Europe, we were adapting to it. I think that teams have done much better than we have, um, which is obviously clear. Otherwise, we would have gone to land, wouldn't we? Um, it's, it's fast. I think that Brazil will do well. I, I'm excited to see them play. I don't think going into this event, and I think all of you can kind of agree with this, because we haven't seen any competition for the last year, there are so many question marks. I... Every single SI, I, I look at the, the lineup of teams going and I think, you know, who is who's going to come out on top? Which team is ultimately going to be the best? Which team do I think is going to win the world championship? And, you know, I usually have a pretty good idea. I, you know, I, I mostly agree with your top fours so far. You know, the, the general consensus seems to be, you know, BDS, G2, NIP, and TSM. I... I I would agree with most of those. You know, obviously, I think SSG needs to be in that conversation. I think the Team Liquid needs to be in that conversation. Absolutely. Um, that, to me, those, to me, are the, are the top six going in. I don't have the greatest gauge of MIBR, uh, but outside of that, you know, that's that's kind of where I stand. And I know that we've, we've been running through just all of you talking in segments, so let's just open up the floor right now. And let's talk about best of ones, because, you know, this is this is a group stage that's going to be built off of nine best of ones. You got nine shots to rack up points and then make it to the next stage. At the tail end of this group stage, four teams are going to be immediately eliminated. Every other team is either going to go on to the winner's bracket or to the loser's bracket, which for uh, people's feelings, we have named the lower and upper bracket, even though it's winner's 
and losers. Kids, some days there are losers in life, and well, this is actually an entire loser stream because, well, none of us are going to be competing at SI. I guess for Melly and I, we have an excuse, but for the rest of you, <laughs> this is definitely a, a loser stream. So let's open it up, though, just to, to general conversation. And if we want to talk about best of ones as competitors, as casters, what do we think the immediate upsides for some of these teams are for best of ones? And how does this compare to the best of three group stage format that we used to have? Well, I think NA, just going into it, it's probably at a little bit of a disadvantage because we haven't played best of ones in over a year. Everything we've been playing are best of threes. So, you know, map pools are created to get to a best of three. Like, uh, you know, some teams maybe don't play a map or two, which helps them in a best of three. But in a best of one, doesn't really matter because you could always just ban it. Uh, so I think for NA, it's probably a little bit of a disadvantage. You know, I think SSG was one of the teams who historically have been much worse in best of ones and best of threes. So, you know, Dizzle uh, mentioned earlier that you, like he wouldn't be surprised if, say, Giants or Cloud9 or somebody upset SSG in a best of one through that, throughout the, uh, I don't even know what we call it, the group stage. Yeah, they're groups. Uh, it's just the group stage. So, you know, I, I certainly wouldn't be surprised to see, like, SSG... OXG, like some of the teams that are favored certainly drop some best of ones because uh, I don't think that works in NA's favor given how we've been playing for over a year now. Yeah, and I think for APAC, we've been playing this exact format. We play a best of one with overtime three rounds. Like, so we, we've literally played for the last year the, the, um, the format that, that we're going into. So they've been very confident and comfortable around a lot of bands and vetoes and, and operator bands. You know, you can operate a bands on best of ones a bit differently than, than you can going into a long BO3s and stuff like that. Um, but just the overall play style, I think, um, especially with the the meta how it is now, you know, teams can can definitely get on a roll uh, pretty comfortably if, if, you know, they're they're a bit more ready to take the game to you. Um, and with, with a lot of teams going to SI for the first time, if they're able to... So to sort of recover from that early deficit in a best of one, you know, a lot of the times in, in best of threes, you know, like uh, last year we like we threw cafe to to G two to Fabian, but you know we knew border was coming up next, so you sort of have that mind space to recover. Um, but in a best of one, four rounds down, it, it gets pretty dire, right? Um, and there's a lot of a lot of inexperienced competitors at, at that sort of level. So I think best of ones for APAC. I mean, me personally, I'm a huge fan of best of ones. I think it's my preferred format um, as as a viewer. Um, I think best of threes are very long. Like I said, I try and watch a lot of NAL, but it's pretty hard to focus that long uh, on the league. Um, and so I think for SI, especially watching best of ones, teams constantly versing each other is, is going to be super exciting for the first stage and then move into BO3. So I, uh, I'm, I'm really excited for the best of one format. I am completely in the opposite way. Best of ones is really, really a poor way of competing, and I don't think it shows the best team of, of the teams competing against each other. Best of oh, threes, I agree with that sentiment too. Best of threes is the way when you play these big tournaments, and it should be in the EUL as well, and it should be in APAC League. I think it's, uh, it, it's a sad thing that we're competing in best of ones when there's so much on the line. Um, and I think that it's a travesty that we have that in the invitationals for the first time. And I think that they're taking a step in the wrong way. I'd rather have 16 teams and BO3s than I would have 20 and best of ones. Um, but I understand that they need to make money. And I guess the money comes in from the best of ones because more works and all that stuff. But I just think it's a step in the wrong direction. And anyone I mean, can the win them. Is... And that's, that's sure it might be good for a good storyline, but it's not good for competition. 
But the thing is, you get your 16 teams in a BO3, right? Because only four teams go home from the groups in the BO1. So we get like a lot of intercontinental competition. And then you move into your BO3s with the 16 yeah, teams. Yeah, but it's not, it's not the same with the group stages, obviously. Because sure, you're going to get into the best of threes later on. But it, it, it gives the chance for weird upsets and teams going through that shouldn't normally go through and would never go through in best of threes against the same teams that they're going up against. And I, yeah. I just don't like that. It could create like weird matchups too, because like, you know, obviously to be good in a best of one, you basically need a map pool of like three, because you can always band down to like one of those three maps. So like, you know, we were talking like, say potentially SSG loses a best of one or best of you know a couple times, and they obviously get through groups. It's gonna make the bracket itself weird because then SSG might be playing somebody super early in the tournament that typically they wouldn't play because they wouldn't lose a best of three. So, like, you know, for all we know, you could get a G2 SSG matchup in, like, the first or second round where normally that's the kind of matchup that's going to be, like, a semifinal or, like, you know, I didn't mention them, but Dark Zero have always been a really good best of one team in NA. So you could have Dark Zero coming out as the first seed and you know, say SSG loses a couple of games, you could potentially have like a Dark Zero SSG second round match, stuff like that. Which so I definitely think the best of one. I'm not a fan of it. I understand why they're doing it. Obviously, more game, like Fabian said, you get more games to stream, you get more orcs there. There's more money in the best of ones. But in terms of like actually identifying who the best teams are, best of threes are always going to be like a, just a better way of doing it. Yeah, best of three is always the 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 best decision to make. But uh, right now we need the the best of one to to see what what is going to to happen. You know, I know uh, every team that, uh, already playing the pro league. Uh, Brazilians did that too. Uh, they don't like the the best of one too, of course. Uh, but we need we need to 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 do that to to get into to another level. You know. Uh, just uh, just talk about is, is not gonna gonna work, um, um, and, but but I agree uh, it's it's not the the, the same uh, to see a, a really important tournament like Six Invitational with a best of one and the best of three. Um, Brazilians uh, uh, don't don't I, I don't get too confident with uh, best of one with Brazilian teams because uh, sometimes they choke a lot. And this is uh, something that uh, we need to to be careful. Uh, but uh, to to a viewer viewer perspective and a caster perspective, we can um, get the most of the teams uh, because of that. Uh, in Brazil, as far as I know, uh, they always say they are they, they have seven map pools, seven maps uh, uh, in their in their map pools. They train all the maps. They are prepared for uh, every map in the game. Uh, maybe one or two teams don't uh, don't train uh, all of the maps, but uh, the good thing, uh, at, at least uh, in the best of one, uh, maybe we can see everything they can uh, uh, give in in the in the game. You know, because of that, because it's just one map, they have to to play uh, everything they they know in the in this map. Uh, maybe in the first match matches uh, of the group stage, uh, they are going to to give everything they they know. Uh, but um, if they are already uh, uh, qualify for for the the playoffs, 
they're starting to uh, um, maybe uh, uh, playing a little bit slow, playing the maps they are uh, don't get used to play, and the 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 last match of the group stage uh, uh, could be boring. Uh, I don't know. The way that I see best of ones, and, and this is something that I'm, I'm assuming that people in chat are going to echo to a certain extent as well, is there's there's a trade-off with every single format that we do, right? And this was this is actually a conversation that I, I think it was somebody from Riot, from League of Legends, talked about how in, in a perfect world, the most competitive matchup period is a best of five. It, it shows which teams have proper endurance. It shows which teams have a more robust, you know, in our case, map pool in, in League of Legends, it would be who has a better champion pool, who can work the bands properly, who can make small adjustments in between games. And, and I mean, you can ask Fabian directly how much endurance matters, especially when you look at that, you know, that infamous coastline matchup between Empire and G2. I mean, endurance was a significant part of why that matchup ended up going the way it did on top of a bunch of other reasons. So in terms of integrity, best of five is superior. But I mean, we can't do a best of five for every single matchup because you're looking at four to five hours usually of competition. But nobody's asking for best of fives, Parker. Nobody's asking for best of fives through the entire tournament. No, no, uh, let me finish. The only best of five... Let me finish. All right. So I'm I'm echoing the sentiments that were made from the guy from Riot who said that in a perfect world, best of fives are the most competitive. The least competitive are best of ones. But best of ones tend to be the most exciting and require the least buy-in for viewers. Additionally, the big thing with the group stages here is that there's 20 teams competing, which means that there's 20 fan bases that are going to be wanting to see their team as much as possible. Best of one ensures that if you're a fan of Liquid, if you're a fan of Altiora, if you're a fan of, of Nip, doesn't matter you're going to get to see your team compete so many times and every single time we're going to see different spikes in viewership we're going to have different fan bases kicking around and ultimately it's going to be good for the competition from a viewership perspective best of threes tend to be that good middle ground but still require more of an investment than best of ones my preference is almost always best of threes i think that they're more competitive I think that there's storylines that we can build off of. As a caster, I much prefer best of threes because there's usually a good ebb and flow to the matchup, and I don't need to blow my voice out in continuous best of ones. Melly, I'm sure that you're you're thinking this as well. Should you and I end up casting SI, you're probably concerned with the fact that there's going to be, you know, 18 best of ones a day split across two streams. As a caster, it's extremely challenging to cast continuous best of ones back to back because you can't take a map off. If it's a best of three and one of the maps, like let's say map one is just like a seven one, you don't really need to invest that much time in it. You can kind of take a step back. You can match your energy. You can have a good time and then bring the heat for map number two or map number three if it ends up going that way. In a best of one, you have to be a 10 out of 10 for every single 10 moment. There are no breaks. It's exhausting as a caster. So for me, it's like I see this from two different perspectives. Competitively, I don't really want best of ones. I'd like to see best of threes because I think the best teams will rise to the top in that system. But I also see best of ones as a lot of regions getting to collide that we've never seen before. How many times does an event go by where we have we have matchups that we want that we never end up seeing? And then on top of that, viewership, I think, is going to be better for best of ones as well. You yeah, may now I interrupt think... me, Fabian, if you'd like. Oh yeah, but definitely Bolyastofon is going to be best from the viewing experience when it comes to watching your team as many times as possible. However, this is the tournament to bring out the best team in the world. I don't really care too much about the viewer experience when it comes to that. You're going to still get your team to play at least two best of threes. If you hold to the old format, sure, it's less maps. It's three less maps in total. 
But if there's the teams that go out, they usually go out anyways. Probably the same teams that would go out in best of threes will go out in best of ones. That's what I'm expecting, especially with the teams that have qualified. But I still don't think that best of ones it's good for a big tournament like this. And I think that it can bring out very skewed results and very skewed uh, group uh, group stages uh, or sorry playoff uh, brackets. I think like the Swiss format makes more sense than the way they're doing it for this kind of thing too, because they like divided the teams into two different groups, or at least if they do Swiss format, you're like, you know, a zero and zero team plays a zero and zero team, one and zero plays one and zero, zero and two plays zero and two, etc. So like it's like working down the line to where eventually you get the best teams playing each other and the worst teams playing each other to see who avoids getting knocked out. I think, like, if they would have just gone with that, that would even make more sense than just, like, dividing it. Because I think, I, I, I haven't looked at the groups that closely, because obviously, like like Fabian said, both of our teams are ass, so we didn't qualify. But, like, you, you know, if, uh, I think in Group B, there's, like, four NA teams mm-hmm. that, you know, they're not even, it's not like the groups are evenly distributed. So, you know, the Swiss format would have made more sense to me. Yeah, Group B has TSM, SSG, OXG, and Altiora. Dark Zero is alone in Group A. Yeah, but I mean that doesn't really make sense to me. Like, so so we're guaranteed in Group B to get four matches of NA teams just playing each other at least, right? That doesn't make sense. Like, if they do the Swiss format, you're not really guaranteed anybody plays anybody. Just, you know, you may eventually have 3-0 TSM play 3-0 BDS or something like that. And that, to me, is, like, cooler to see potentially than, you know, TSM and SSG play for the 50th time to decide nothing because we know they're going to make it out of groups regardless. I was going to say, how dare you deprive the people of OXG versus TSM? It's been at least a week since we saw them play each other. The people are demanding that match. So I mean, people said the whole year that our team and OXG were like the closest for fourth and fifth, and we have still never we still never played them. So I mean, you know, I, it is what it is, I guess. Did you yeah, secret, I... did you secretly blow up your roster so you could once again say, wait till we have our full five, then we'll be top four? Yeah, just wait. I'm still assembling the Infinity Stones. <laughs> I um, like in APAC, we ex- we experimented with with the Swiss system because we played that format this year, uh, and albeit at a different scale. Um, I think you're less likely to have blowouts in a Swiss format as well. I think there will be a lot of a lot of washes, uh, in, in the round robin. Um, but it's also a lot more difficult from a tournament perspective as well in, in terms of like having to get matchups and opponents like basically like late at night when people are going to be already asleep because like they're going to be playing all day, right? And so you're not going to know your winners and losers brackets, which means you're probably going to wake up to who you're going to be playing that day. So I think there's a little bit more integrity in a round robin from from a team's perspective and performance wise. But in terms of tournament format, then yeah, 100% Swiss. Um, just coming from like personal experience this year, having done both. Um, yeah, there, there's no perfect option um, and make no mistake I, I definitely agree that BO3s are, are the way to go but I think in terms of especially this year with with the risk to put the SI on in the first place uh, and the cost associated with it and everything else going into it I think that viewership uh, and, and you can current viewers are going to be one of the most important metrics performance aside right still we want to find the world champion but at the end of the day like it's, it's, a, it's a huge investment from Ubi and organizations and stuff to be doing this, uh, you know, uh, across the 
the scope that we've seen the year go for a lot of regions it hasn't been brilliant i think that it, it's super important that we hit those numbers and, and like parker said there's going to be a lot more viewers in the best of one formats coming and going and, and likely tuning in because oh, i can watch this map and oh this one's about to finish who's playing next sort of thing so i think it's likely to to attract more eyes um in the group stage which i think is paramount and maybe it doesn't work out you know uh maybe the viewer viewership doesn't doesn't go quite as well as i think but i think for this year especially with COVID, i think this is a much better way to do it than the previous bo3 system in the end uh we are going to have eight teams for each for from each group uh passing to the playoffs so uh, uh it, it can be uh, some upsets in the in this in, in the in the groups yes but I don't know uh, if you are going to see a lot of uh, upsets because of the the best of one. Uh, in the playoffs, we're going to have the the uh, the upper bracket and the 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 winners and the losers bracket uh, uh, in the playoffs uh, in the best of three. So it's not that that hard to 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 imagine uh, the good teams in the playoffs. You know, it's even with the best of one. It's just who they face up against. For example, the the teams that we are, are looking here at going top four, if they place just two steps down and two steps up, they're going to play each other the first game in, in, in playoffs, and then one is going to lose a bracket. And then, well, then they have the one, one, one more chance to prove themselves, obviously. But it's still a bit too early in my mind. The yeah, NIP, NIP lost to TSM uh, in the t uh, 2020 Invitational and got the finals. So, sure, but they also were one map down, which is another subject to bring up. That is completely... Well, I'm not going to use that word. Um, <laughs> it's not very good from an experience of watching a grand final of a World Cup um, with one map down to begin with, just because you, you lost the game. You should just play two big matches after each other and then play on, but still you're one map down. I, I just see it as a very unlikely situation to happen. The one thing I was going to say about that we're 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 risking with this group stage, and I'm glad Super brought it up, is that in Group B you've got four NA teams. In Group A you've got four LATAM teams. I mean, is it likely that it's going to happen? No. Is it possible that Group A is entirely LATAM and Group B is entirely North America, leaving the group stages? I mean, it is. It is possible. I don't necessarily think that's likely because on Group A, you've got to have Furia going out in the groups into the playoffs, and then in Group B, you've got Altiora doing the same thing. I don't necessarily think that these two teams, if they make it to the playoffs, are going to be top four in either of their respective groups. But it's possible, and this is, a this is Melly, if you remember, a concern that was echoed with was a Group C last year uh, yep. in SI where you had three LATAM teams in one group. You know, yeah. it, it was MIBR, it was Liquid, and it was NIP all in the same group with Giants. And the one thing that we used to have when we had multiple groups was you could very easily carve up which teams in which regions were going to be in which groups. The idea was that if, if possible, every single group should have one team from each region. Now, obviously, you can still end up, you know, with with four EU teams coming out on top. Look at the look at what ended up happening with the Raleigh Major. All four of the finalists were European teams. It can happen, but at least there's a greater chance of it. Having smaller groups means that it, you can really end up with even less diversity because we aren't basically forcing that diversity across five groups or four groups. We're doing it across the two. So there is the lower bracket. So there is a saving grace, and and you know, Nip did make that miracle run. 
through the lower bracket. They lost to TSM and then Nip clobbered every other team along the way to make it into the finals. Since you mentioned it, Fabian, I think we we can revisit it here because there, with every single competitive uh, structure that we see, there's always going to be a trade-off for viewership, for ease of understanding, for ease of running a tournament, and then for competition. The best of five system that we have right now with a lower bracket and an upper bracket means that the team that goes flawlessly to the finals gets a one map advantage going into those finals because they haven't lost yet. This is obviously very controversial. Nip ended up going down a map strictly because they'd already lost and then put on a hell of a show against SSG. I think it's impossible for us to not argue that if both of those teams had gone in on an even footing, and this is of course ignoring the fact that Nip lost to TSM earlier, so they wouldn't have even been in the finals, but let's just let's just keep going with this thought process. If Nip and SSG go into that matchup tied 0-0, it is very likely that Nip ends up winning the whole thing. Do we have anybody that's going to defend the best of five system right now where a team that has made it flawlessly through the upper bracket gets that one map advantage is there anybody here who's going to defend that because i know some of you are not happy with it is there anybody that's going to defend it before we get into the uh the reasons why you don't like it don't like it well i mean fabian already said he didn't like it so i'm assuming that that's going to be and, and judging from the the feelings of the community i'm assuming that's probably going to be something that more than one of you also feel is there anybody who can defend a team that goes flawlessly going through the event getting a one map advantage is there anybody who likes that i don't know uh, sometimes I, I think it's good but uh you know, i'm not saying because of nap loss because of that uh but uh you have to to give uh something in, in this final you know i don't know exactly what uh, uh to change uh but right now this is the only thing that we we have so uh, um I, I don't know if if someone uh, uh um let, let me let, let me point this uh this way i agree with fabian you know uh, it's not it's not about one game that uh, makes you uh, 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 a team that is going to be uh, uh, lose everything because of one map. But in uh, but in the other way, uh, you have to uh, uh, to give something for for the 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 winner in the winners bracket. I don't know what the the uh, the the change the chance to to choose more maps in the, the the best of five i don't know man but you have to do to give something to him well that's going to be a better choice obviously than a free map win immediately i mean i yep. I, I think that the, an automatic map ban would be better even though it's going to be like oh that team gets to decide which maps to play sure that's a very very big advantage as well but i'd probably rather see the team that won everything get to choose more maps maybe that they get to choose the first two maps or something like that or that you play two matches if it's needed if the team that won the upper bracket they win the first best of five well then they win the tournament if they lose the first best of five you play another one maybe not immediately give them an hour and a half break give them two hours break i don't know how long but push it on play another best of five start from zero zero again but I'd rather see a fair game where we actually get to see, well, at that point of time, the two best teams in the world go up against each other's throat and literally be crazy matches. I'd rather see two best of fives, which is going to be super exhausting for everyone involved, obviously, but at least it would be fair. 
Yeah, I agree with Bobby on what he said coming from like console because this is how that's how Call of Duty does it. Um, and we brought that up in NA at one point. I think he is either for the qualifiers for the majors or one of them. And the reason, obviously, that they can't do that is because so if you were to do or you know for an invitational, I feel like it's different. But if you were to say you know, if you come from the winner side, you have to lose two series. And if you come from the loser side, you just have to lose one, which makes sense because you have to, if the loser has to lose twice, so should the winner have to lose twice in a series. But what we were told is then it's hard to schedule that because if the winner just wins like a best of three, they just win. And maybe it's over in two hours, an hour and a half. If the winner loses the best of three and that goes three maps and then they play another three maps, you could potentially have a six or seven hour game. So it's hard to like schedule for them because obviously they have other stuff they want to, you know, whether it's advertising, whatever it may be during the finals and stuff like that. It's hard to schedule around having anywhere from an hour and a half match to a six hour match. Now, is that what I would prefer? Yes. I think it makes, you know, as I said, by far the most sense if you're going to format your tournament to be a double elimination tournament, like a losers and winners bracket, then it only makes sense that the team from the winner's side should have to lose twice. You know, you can't have it. You can't have a double elimination bracket, but then you get to the finals and you say to the winning team, oh, if you lose this, you're out, but we'll just throw you a map. You know, that kind of just like it's like for the finals, you're just making your own rules. Honestly, it doesn't fit to the format of the rest of the tournament. So I think they just they've got to figure out a consistent way to schedule the time for the final, because in my opinion, I agree. The the winner should have the advantage of having to lose twice, not just some like random, you know, map ban advantage or whatever it may be, because that doesn't follow the format of the rest of the tournament. I mean, you give the if if that would be the case that the team from the lower bracket actually wins three maps, you give them a second chance to come to the final and actually win it. But the winning or the losing team doesn't get it at all. So you're like, okay, yeah. we lost three maps and now we're out. But the other team right. also lost an entire game. And had the had there been no loser bracket, well, they would have been out already. So yeah. I, I I think there's two problems here. I think the first is if you want to solve your initial BO5 at the moment, like with with the Elim bracket. Uh, with a seven map pool, I think you give both map bans to the bracket winner. Um, let them ban two maps. I think that's going to give you the viewer the best experience and, and the most competitive BO5 as well as an advantage worth fighting for for the winner. Um, and, and you could even toss them if they want to choose either who bans first and then they get to choose their sides. You know, there's a few things in the veto that you could use as, as an upper hand to get to get an advantage. I think that solves the bracket. But ultimately, if you want to solve the BO5 issue completely is you need to move away from an elimination format and you need to move into a conference format like the NFL where you, you effectively build out your your eight teams on either side and then funnel it down to one team uh, from each side because then you have a fair BO5. They've won their brackets. They've played in group stages. You move them out. So I think it just needs an entire tournament rework. And that, I think, is the best way to solve it is is I, I, I'd be fully behind the, the BO1 format that they've got into um the 16 stage eight each side and then play through a bo3 all the way until the final where you can have a bo5 in a conference format i think is the best way to structure the invitational personally but if you want to just solve the bo5 and and are absolutely in love with the elimination then i think it has to be done 
um, the winner bracket advantage is both map vetoes and they decide if they either want to pick the map first or they let the other person pick the map first and then they get side preference. The way that I would like it, and obviously I don't know if it's possible or not, and the logistics behind it are, are much bigger, uh, would be to have a three stage instead of two stage finals. So the way that we have it right now, if you want to keep two groups, that's fine. Maybe even expand to the four groups and then the last place team in every single group goes home immediately. Your first stage is your group stages. You have four teams go home of the 20. It leaves you with the final 16 teams. Then you have a double elimination segment where you narrow it down to the final eight teams. And then the third stage is single elimination with the final eight teams like we had before. And then the final eight teams compete like usual. The first day would be, you know, four best of threes. The second day would be the semifinals. Then the grand finals are a best of five. But the loser's bracket's already done at that point. You have the winner's bracket and the loser's bracket for the 16 teams for the second stage. And then the third stage would be its own separate three days. So you'd have three days times three, three stages each three days. The final three days is single elimination. So that way you do get a proper best of five because the loser's bracket's already been resolved at that point. You've already gone past the loser's bracket and now you've got the best eight teams that have gone through both the group stages and a double elimination and now it's do or die for the final eight teams and then you have your official playoffs where you end up with if you go home you go home that's it you've already had your two chances to stay alive you made it through congratulations you're one of the eight best teams in the world this is it don't blow it or or what you do is you have a bracket reset of some kind because i'm also a big fan of bracket resets but the problem is is that having two best of fives is is impossible on the same day Two best of fives with proper intermissions, proper breaks, possibly doing content between, allowing casters to rest, means that A, if you're not swapping out duos, which I think swapping out duos during a finals is a, is a bad idea, if you're keeping the same casting duo, you're potentially casting 10 maps in one day and you don't know how to pace it. Because that first best of five looks like it's going to end and then it doesn't. And then it looks like it's going to end and then it doesn't. And then next thing you know, oh my God, there's a whole other best of five. One one casting duo alone is going to struggle with a best of five to begin with. And you're usually spent by that fifth and final map. Now you got to do it again. That's that's a lot of work. And it's not fair to those casters to then say, okay, well, you did what should have been the finals, but now we're going to give another duo this second best of five to conserve energy. That makes no sense. So from that perspective, you've got to worry about production. You've got to worry about the talent. You've got to worry about all that jazz. A bracket reset with a best of three makes more sense logistically, but then your grand finals could end up being two maps, right? You go through this whole thing and then you've got a bracket reset and a team only needs to win two maps and then it's over. That's super anticlimactic for the biggest event of the year. So I don't know if this was the plan for SI, but what I would like in the future is three days of group stages, four teams go home. Three days of the middle stages where eight teams go home in a double elimination format and then the final three days with obviously like a day or two in between the final three days of the playoffs. Those are played mostly on stage. If you lose, you go home. There's no second chances. That's it. And then we can have a normal best of five at the end. That would be Parker, my solution. This is, this is the one time in your life that I'm going to tell you that I'm proud of you and you have come with a good idea. <laughs> For someone that is a communist, this is the first time you've said something that makes sense. <laughs> Um, but that's probably the best bracket that we could possibly get on the best tournament layup we could possibly get currently. Yeah, I agree. That's a good format. I think it's more so on Ubisoft in terms of like 
because that's a pretty long format. You know, it'd probably be over two or three weeks, yeah. which obviously is going to raise cost a lot. Um, we only so have two that, weeks, though. Uh, yeah, that's the thing. It's two weeks, but there's tons of downtime and there's setup time yeah. as well. You only need the venue for the final three days, right? Most of it can be done in hotels. Yes, yes. Right? We like, you, two weeks like I mean, we're already doing like that right now. ESL Katowice does that, right? Like, when you look at IEM Katowice and how they format it, it... it I remember last year's or two years ago's I am Katowice honestly felt like the event was two and a half weeks long because they had like the, the newbie stage and they had like the legend stage and then they had all these different stages. And then finally they should have had an in-person an in-person audience for the playoffs, but they canceled it because of COVID. But essentially you don't bring a crowd in until the playoffs. Anyway, the, the shitty part is, is that the crowd's going to want to see as many teams as possible. And the one major complaint uh, that we had from last year's SI was that a couple teams most notably G2, went out without a crowd being there. I, as a caster, no offense to you, Fabian, I think it would have been an infinitely more significant moment if G2 lost on stage at SI, because that's never happened before, if G2 had lost on stage and then gone out that way instead of going out, you know, in, in a hotel conference room. But under this system, you'd still have eight teams in the playoffs, and you still have the three days in, in the stadium or wherever it's going to be, so... Sometimes you do hit that right on the spot, Parker. Nailed it. <laughs> Congratulations. Now Nailed you've it. done it for 2021, where you have to wait another, well, 10 months, well, 11 months-ish for the next time. The way that you could structure it, too, is that you'd have the teams, because the teams usually fly in like two or three days ahead of time. Uh, obviously, this event's going to be very different because the teams have to fly in ahead. They have to quarantine. Uh, right now, the local law in, in France is seven days. Uh, if you're coming from, I think it's seven days if you're coming from outside of the EU, which also includes the UK. Uh, and I think it was three days if you're coming from inside the EU, but now I think they've extended it to seven days, period, if you're entering France. So you've got a week now of downtime where, yeah, you don't necessarily need to pay to rent things, but it, you know, if you're organizing it this way, Ubisoft has to pay for, you know, seven days of, of food, of hotels, of accommodations, et cetera, for, for teams to basically do nothing because they're going to be in, in quarantine slash isolation, right? So the, assuming they follow the rules that the government laid out, but um, I mean, under normal circumstances, you have the teams fly in, you know, they get a day or two of practice, they get a day to do media, and then the group stages go, let's say, you know, like Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, you get Friday off, you've got set, you know, Saturday, Sunday, Monday would be the days where you have the, the, the double elimination brackets, and then you've got two days of buffer or three days of buffer, you've got practice, You've got media, and then you have the event start on Friday morning. So, I mean, in all reality, it, it's really only a, you'd really only need to fly in on a Monday, and then you'd be flying out a week and a half later. Or almost two weeks later. It's Yeah, it's going to cost money, but if you want to put on the best fucking show, you're going to have to spend money. This is SI for crying out loud. Like, this is not the time to start counting pennies. It makes no sense. This is when you splash Thank out. You, Parker. Thank hmm? you, Parker, to saying that. Thank you. Like, this is the you biggest have, event you, of the year. Spend some fucking money. money, like, for crying out yeah. loud. Like, we're not, this isn't, like, this isn't, like, a dream hack where you have to bring your own computer if you want to compete. This is the biggest fucking event of the year. You give out a $3 million prize pool, spend some goddamn money, and have a proper tourney. That's the way I would see it. And I understand that this year they can't do that. But in the future, we saw last year, I thought last year SI was fantastic. I thought that it was the best it could have been under the circumstances it was in. I think this year it looks like it's going to be the best it can be under the circumstances it's in, but I think that there are improvements that can be made for the future. 
So. I think that exhausts that topic. So, um, <laughs> the, the next topic that, that I want to talk about is let's talk about where, where the meta is going to go, right? So obviously a bunch of changes were made yesterday. I don't know if you guys talked about this, but I want some input from different regions. Um, not a huge amount of changes. Honestly, it was mostly tinkering. If you saw the designer notes, uh, changes to the radius of Ash's explosive uh, launcher and Zofia's launcher. Uh, Echo got some significant buffs. Uh, Kali got a buff and then also a nerf. Uh, they got rid of the angled grip on Malusi, which just about fixes her. Um, you've got uh, you've got Mira and Legion losing their 1.5 scope, uh, etc. So let's just let's just open the floor again. Uh, and then Aruni is going to be available in, in short order as well for the next set of competition. Do we think we're going to see any major meta changes here? Do you think any of these changes actually mattered? And if not, what, what changes would you like to see made further to the meta? I think they're all pretty insignificant. Insignificant or significant? Insignificant. I don't think any of those are like really game-changing. Obviously, the Malusi nerf is like ridiculous. Like... Uh, I, I really dislike how Ubisoft has kind of taken the approach of rather than they they basically their last resort is to change utility on operators and they keep trying to change like scopes and stuff on like the guns. Like I really dislike that. That's not really like a nerf. Like, you know, you're just taking angled away from Malusi, like or taking the one point five away from Legion. You know, I, I don't like nerfing operators by changing what attachments the weapons have. Like, actually nerf the operators. That's why they're broken. Um, in terms of what they did, I, I, you know, I haven't honestly looked closely at it, but I don't see any of that being significant. Malusi's still going to be extremely powerful, etc. You know, and none of the buffs, I guess, really would matter much to me. Um, again, I haven't really looked too closely at it, but that's just from what you just said, how I see it. It won't change much at all. Yeah, I agree. We still have the power creep in this game that's insane. Um, newer op operators are always the bestest. Um, I don't know why it takes them so long to nerf them. Like Melusi having her three boobers still is insane. <sighs> yeah, I don't know. Uh, feels like we want to go this way, but Ubisoft wants to go that way. And we don't seem to be going in the right direction, according to me, but then we all have different opinions on that part. The question I need to ask, and this is... I talked about this a little bit on my own stream yesterday. Um, and I noticed a lot of chatter, especially from pros, who, who like, they kind of... It's like Groundhog Day. Every single time Ubisoft releases designer notes, the first step they always take is to change the weapons. Because it's the easiest. It's by far and away the easiest remove an attachment, change a site slash scope, which they have now a lot more opportunity to do because there's a whole wealth of new scopes that got introduced instead of just ACOG versus the one-time housings. Um, or reduce the damage of the weapon or change the recoil of the weapon. And then their next step is to tinker with secondary gadgets, take away frag grenades, take away a nitro cell, give them you know something weaker like Claymore or a proximity alarm or something like that. And then when those fail, their next step is usually to tinker with the operator themselves. So maybe make Jaeger a three speed. Now he's a two speed. Maybe make Capkin a two speed instead of him being a three speed. Maybe make Warden a two speed, etc. Their last step is usually touching the gadget. 
I don't think there's any of us here who will disagree that Malusi's gadget being nerfed would be bad. I think all of us would say, yeah, maybe make her gadget a little bit worse. It's a little annoying. It's maybe a little too overtuned. Why do you think everybody gets so bent out of shape that they make these small changes on like their very first step? Do you think it's that, do you think it's just that people are frustrated that they don't go far enough? Or do you think that, no. what do you think the frustration is then? The frustration is from the first step to the fourth step. It's how long that takes. I've got like no issue if that's what they had to do. And a month later, they had something. If it was adjusted within the season, within the three months, before we then run into another issue with the next one, um, then it would be fine. But, you know, it, it scaled, right? Like we spoke about the Wamai, we spoke about the Goyo, we spoke about the Jaeger for so long, for a year. But that all came back to the slits and the deployable shields. That's where it all started. And then it just got added upon and upon and upon and upon. And, you know, they've been very reactive at the moment with with Jaeger and his change, which has definitely been a breath of fresh air. They moved some shields around. But if that hadn't have been done and a Rooney comes out next season and we still had all that, like, uh, the 22nd meta goes to, like, you just throw it all out the window at that point, right? So I, I think that's the big problem. I, I personally don't have a huge, huge issue with the ideology of it, but I think it's the reactiveness between step one and step four that is the concern. And for so many years, it's been that way that we know what step one looks like and we know how long it's going to take to step four. And so they're quite vocal to try and get that push sooner. I, I, I think is, is, is personally, from my point of view at least, is, is what I would surmise it to be. The private channels don't work that they have with us. They, they 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 pretend that we have some sort of say in it, but no matter what we put up there, it just goes in one ear and out the other. I mean, if I bought a hamster, I could literally make it grow up to be an adult hamster. The hamster dies. I bury the hamster in my backyard, and they still haven't changed Melusi. Like it, it just takes so fucking long. It's it. I, there's no words for it. I've just t spoken too many times about it. I've been warned by Ubisoft too many times about it, but it just it, it doesn't stop. It, it's. I mean, in your defense, uh, hamsters, live, hamsters live on average two to three years, so you're killing that hamster from neglect. Yeah, that, that hamster has been... No, that hamster has literally been dead for five years before they decide to change something. They're going to be like, that hamster, oh, oh, it's time to bury it. Maybe, maybe now we should start thinking about making a change. And I mean, we don't have the expert opinion that they do, right? So, yeah, sorry. Uh, but uh, to, no, talking about in a, a game design perspective, uh, it's more complex to do that. Uh, yeah. Uh, they, they, are, uh, they, they have a lot of changing uh, in the game, in the code of the game, in the game code. And the team is different. I think it's the third or the fourth team that uh, uh, are, are uh, coding the game. So uh, in my perspective, when I uh, work with uh, uh, programming, the, 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 the Rainbow Six code right now, it's like a, a, a web of shadows, you know? <laughs> I, I don't know if they are uh, uh, with the game in, in their hands right now. Uh, so uh, to change something specific like the gadgets, I think it's more complex than the changing like uh, the recoil, um, put some uh, a flash in the bug, and then then uh, uh, and 
change uh, change the velocity of the the, the operator. Uh, I don't know. I, I don't. I don't. I don't get. I, I don't want to. I don't want to uh, be uh, uh, like a, a, a. How can I say? Um, I, 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 I just want to. Uh, I, uh, I just just don't want to mess uh, with the 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 opinions of everyone uh of how i i think that the the game should change you know because uh that can be uh, uh consequences when when you use uh, wrong words in your sentence you know but it's <laughs> it's, it's it's complex doesn't matter what words we yeah. use though that's the problem <laughs> yeah i mean i mean my... i could speak vietnamese to them and they, they would understand <laughs> me just as well as if, if i spoke english it uh... but... My guys are notably quiet, right? Like, we don't take to public forums for these sorts of things. It's just not in our nature. Um, and like Fabian said, it, it sometimes it, it's futile, right? So we generally just, we we approach everything with a positive mindset and, and you know, try and, I suppose, mitigate what we can, where we can. Um, I think, you know, I completely understand, Millie, that it, it's a complicated game. It was probably never built to be where it's headed um and you know it's it's like how many more years are they investing in it are they just going to keep you know if we've we've got like 40 or something 50 more operators to go are they just going to keep stringing along with the code or, or are they going to make it more workable for them for the next five or ten years um because at some point right like you look at what league of legends used to be compared to where it is now right like they had to change everything um all, all we can speak from is a consumer point of view where we see other FPS titles and how quickly those things are, are being actioned, right? And obviously, like Valorant's a, a big topic at the moment, and how quickly things are addressed or removed from there. Um, whether it's operator being taken out of the playlist, fixed a day or two later, uh, whether it's its utility and, and updates, and and to try and bring them more into line and, and their philosophy. Whereas I think with ours, it's a very long process, and then a lot of the times it's very contradictory in in terms of the message that they're sending, which creates a lot of frustration and confusion as well. Um, but like I said, we, we just embrace it. We roll with the punches at this point, five years on, it's about all we can do is, is just make the most of it. Um, but yeah, I was going to say, I think I've talked to you and Tara about this before, but the, like, I understand the coding aspect of it and that that takes time. The main issue that I've always had is like, there's, well, there's two things. So they kind of followed league and to how they like will quarantine a new operator for a little bit. And then we also have TTS, but from what I would say is like feedback given on TTS isn't really used to nerf operators a lot of the time. Like they might make a small adjustment. Like I think with Malusi, they nerfed the range on it like very, like a little bit, but that wasn't like, it, it still was overpowered. And then when an operator goes into quarantine, I feel like they don't make any adjustments at all during the quarantine period where it's like in league when, op when, you know, new champions are quarantined, they're actively trying to balance that operator. So it can be introduced into the esport and to the pro play. Whereas like, I feel like in our game, they're in quarantine just because they're new and then we'll throw them into pro play and then, Oh yeah, they are overpowered. So we'll deal with that like nine months later. But the idea of quarantine, if we're following the league pattern of it, should be that we are using the quarantine period to actively tinker and mess with this 
you know, operators so that when it is introduced to pro play, it's not all of a sudden there is just this extremely powerful operator in play. It's that it's balanced by the time it's introduced, not being balanced as we play. That That's the idea of quarantine or having a test server in general so that you, by the time it's introduced to play, it's not broken. But I don't think yeah. we do that. No, I think fundamentally the big difference is Riot is an esports company at its very core. Like everything they do has the mantra and the ideology towards the esports success because their games are developed as esports from the beginning, whereas like Ubisoft's aren't. And, you know, amongst all their titles that they have and, and the developers working on everything that they're working on, um, and, and being that most of the revenue isn't coming um, from the esport itself, I think it's, it's more we have an esports branch in Ubisoft rather than an absolute esports focus in the company and just from the size of, of the scope of what they're working on. So I think sometimes the devs cop a lot of slack because, you know, we speak about like, why are the devs doing this and why are they doing it? But, but frankly, it probably comes from above them, to be honest. Like, Yeah, but n- nobody's saying it's coming from the devs. We're saying it's coming from Ubisoft. I mean, a lot of the people that I know that have had ideas and thoughts about how things should be changed and balancing they've just given up because there's no response to it why talk to them when there's like it's just taking such a long time we're not getting the response at all and then people just give up i used to be pretty pretty vocal uh, back at the start about how pros were not going through proper channels and at the time they absolutely weren't you know no I, there was there was a lot of pros who did not go through proper channels uh, I've mentioned it on this podcast before where it's like I would see things that were posted in Discord channels. I would see things that would be said in, or I would hear things that would be said in Discord calls. I would hear things that were said at playtests and, and frankly kind of, you know, shake my head and say, this is not how anything gets changed. You know, like people are going to clam up. And I think there's a there's a couple things that are, that need to be noted. Number one, the vast majority of the people that we used to communicate with from a balancing perspective at Ubisoft, are now gone. That team has almost entirely turned over over the last year or year and a half or so. A huge portion of the people that I know at the Rainbow Six team are, are gone. And a lot of people saw that as like this, a sign that the sky was falling. But in reality, it's just that these people have been working on this project for six or seven years because a lot of them were working on it before the game was released. And I mean, six to seven years on the same game is is basically a lifetime in game development. So a lot of these people decided to, you know, try new things. Ubisoft as a company is remarkably casual. And I will say that I have had conversations with Ubisoft staff who they just hate esports. They hate what it brings. They hate the negativity. They hate what it brings from people on Twitter. They don't like what competition does to a scene. They don't like the constant criticism, etc. And And the other thing, too, is that we have the vast majority of the people who play this game play it casually on console. And every time this balancing conversation comes up, and I mean, it's been really prevalent over the last 24 hours because of the, the whole Zofia controversy that's been going on, is the casual community keeps saying, we have, a va- we have the majority. We have an overwhelming majority of the player base. Why are they listening to not just PC players, but why are they listening to pro players? You know, when they represent 0.1% of the actual player base. My theory is that if you're going to play this game casually on a console, you probably don't have a good say in balancing because you don't play this game at a proper level to actually know what needs to be balanced. You know, I'm not 
Just because I drive a car doesn't necessarily mean that I know how to design a car. Just because you play Rainbow Six doesn't mean you know how to balance Rainbow Six. And that extends to the pros and the casters as well. I, I hear bad takes. I've said bad takes before. We all have. But the issue that we have, that Valorant doesn't have, that CSGO doesn't have, that League doesn't have, is that these games are PC only and their player base is really, really competitive. You go on the CSGO subreddit, you go on the League of Legends subreddit, you even go on the Valorant subreddit, and they talk about pro play, they talk about competition. League and the CSGO, the global offensive subreddits, almost exclusively talk about competition. Valorant, maybe a little bit less because Valorant is a game that is trying to court casuals, but you go on the Rainbow Six subreddit and you are going to have an absolute aneurysm. Because not only do they not talk about competitive play, but when they do, it is to shit-talk competitive play. We have the same divide between the pros and the casuals as Call of Duty does, and as Overwatch does. And what unites us with those two games and separates us from CSGO, League of Legends, Valorant, and, and Dota? Those games are PC-only, their player base is really competitive. The vast majority of people who are playing Call of Duty, Overwatch, and Rainbow Six are doing so on consoles. They don't know the game because they don't play it at a top level, and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But then they turn around and complain that we nerf certain operators because their experience differs so greatly from the top level. Just as you're not balancing sports for the kids that are playing, you know, pickup basketball or playing a beer league hockey game, you're not balancing professional esports around the kids who play casually. And the devs, when you add it to the fact that the devs are also quite casual in the way that they see games, Ubisoft as a company makes it makes heartwarming, fun, really casual games. No Ubisoft games are particularly challenging. It begins to make a lot of sense why there's always some pushback. And going through the proper channels right now doesn't really seem to be working. Because I will agree with Fabian, and I don't know what is going on right now and why Fabian and I keep agreeing with each other. But I will, I will be honest and say that I used to say consistently go through the proper channels because they didn't. Now I'm not defending the people who are lashing out on Twitter because it seems to be the only way to make any change happen. The proper channels just do not seem to be working the way they used to. And even when you go and you give really good feedback, it seems to mostly get ignored. When the Mozzie Buck Jaeger patch went through, what was it, like a year ago or almost a year ago, and now this patch as well? I had a lot of bad things to say about these patches because they don't address the underlying issues with any of these operators. And Dizzle, you nailed it when you said the problem is that going from step one to step four can take a year. It took Lion a year to get reworked. It took Ella six to seven months just to get nerfed. And these were not big changes. It's in, it's inexcusable that it takes this long. And I can understand why people yeah. get frustrated. You guys remember when they released? It'd be fine. The revolver in Counter-Strike, do you guys remember that? If you played Counter-Strike at that point. Yeah, they made the it really overpowered to sell crates and then nerfed it in like it was, two weeks. But they nerfed it, I think, the next day. I thought it was a week later. Uh, it, it, it's just like, it was just insane the speed that they nerfed it in comparison to what we see. Yeah. That's never going to happen here. Never. Every developer is going to release things overpowered, by the way. Every MOBA does it. Overwatch sure. does yeah. it. You, you release them super overpowered for a couple days, maybe a week, maybe two weeks. But then as Seth pointed out, the whole purpose behind quarantine is to fucking nerf them. Like, there's and no reason don't. why Malusi sits in quarantine for three months and everybody says, hey, these need to be changed. Or Wamai sits in quarantine for three months and everybody says, these are going to be a nightmare. You need to fix them. And then they come out of quarantine and everybody freaks out. And then Ubisoft finally says, okay, 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 we'll do something. When it's like, well, you had three months to do it. What were you doing? Why were you not 
Why were you not acting then? It's puzzling. Now, the, the question that I had that, that was kind of not... Um, they don't play the game. What did you say? They don't play the game. I think some of them don't play the game at a top <laughs> level. And I mean, the balancing cell and the people who do play the game at a top level are, are not the same people. Um, but the question that I will say is, this it, just a broad, broad meta discussion for all of you. What are the problematic operators right now? And what changes would you like to see be done to them? I mean, Malusi's obviously the low-hanging fruit, but there's been conversations about changing Jackal. There have been conversations about changing Hibana. Are there any other changes to operators right now that you'd like to see? And Seth, it's been a while since you spoke, so I'll let you go first. Uh, I think Hibana is pretty o overpowered now. Uh, I the like I, I'm I'm thinking the ones that are going to be overpowered, obviously the operators who get banned a ton. Um, Habana just completely breaks some maps uh, without it being banned. Like, uh, like Clubhouse, for instance, basement with Habana up, it's impossible to now deny Kitchen Hatch like ever. Um, and it obviously just gives you the ability to open up pretty much anything you want to. Like on Villa, for instance, you know, teams used to be able to impact off the wall so you can't get the long angle to like the vault. It's literally impossible to do that now because you could just do it two at a time until they're out of impacts. So I think Habana's, you know, they they buffed it, and I would almost say like kind of unnecessarily. I thought Habana was in a good spot. It was a good operator. It's still played by everyone. Um, and you know, I, I you know, Mira is banned a lot. Uh, there's a lot of complaints about Mira. You know, I think you could look at taking away a window on it and just give it one window it would still be a strong operator it would certainly make you have more particular strats or maybe more particular reinforcements if you only had one mirror to choose from um you know uh you know valk is banned a lot i don't know that there's like a nerf to valk i heard somebody say like you should make it to where valk can't throw cams outside uh, I don't really agree with that. I honestly think Valk's fine. Um, but the one that stands out to me is, like, I think Habana's broken. Obviously, we've already talked about Malusi's pretty broken. I don't understand why people would say Jackal should be nerfed. Like, Jackal's not even really played enough to where I would say it's, like, some sort of broken operator. Uh, the two that stick out to me are just Habana and Malusi. And then I think you can make the case to, like, you know, remove a Mira window, do something with Mira. Um, and, and you know, they've kind of nerfed Echo. Obviously, the game maybe is better for it, but Echo's almost just, like, useless at this point, I feel like, in a lot of cases. Um, so, yeah, that, that's just, you know, I, I would mainly say Melusia Bon and maybe Mira. One thing I want to talk about is Mira first, because she got changed, and, and I hear that one Mira window alone. The devs have said many, many times that they don't ever want to have just one gadget. And they've been very firm on that. And let's say, for example, that the devs flat out refuse mm -hmm. to reduce her Mira window to one. How else do you nerf Mira if she still keeps two Mira windows? What options are there? And maybe you can't see through one. see her. So one of well, you saying you can't see through one, yeah, and the other yeah, you saying you can it, see it's her. Just, it's such a such a bullshit <laughs> idea, just because the, the, it's like it's so stupid to oh we cannot have less than two. Like, okay, okay. it's losing your brain. It's like uh, fucking make the mirror window black on both sides. Then, like, we mean, 
Maybe remove all her guns. She can have a knife only. She can she can hand out coke cans to her teammates to boost their HP regen or something. What well, what do you want us to say? When is this? <laughs> when does it stop with the stupid ideas? I will like, say I'm that not I, I do not support but... her in its current state. I think that giving her one mirror window is too weak because all it ne all you need to do is pop the gas tank on the back and her whole gadget is gone. And like, cool. But if you can't pop the gas tank, like, look at the basement attack for Oregon, for example. Two mirror windows, well, you put one on each side and then it's, both sides are going to be... Now we're looking at casual play. Obviously, a pro team might be able to handle it better. But still, it can be really hard to deal with a mirror window if the right operators are banned. And it, for example, you ban Thatcher on on on, uh, on Oregon basement, and you put the kite charge in the electric room the, towards blue, and you throw the kite charge inside the bomb site. How are you going to take care of that mirror window? Well, it's almost impossible. But if you only have one, you can always change and go on the other side. But if she has two mirror windows, she has one on each side. And which one do you pick? Which one are you not going to be able to? Which which side do you want to die on? Basically, I, I like Melly's you, option a lot. By the way, of making them see through. If you make both of them uh, completely transparent, I think that's kind of pointless because you always are just assuming there's a. It's not like you're just assuming there's nobody behind the mirror. Like you always are thinking there's somebody behind the mirror anyway. So it, it, I can just look him in the eyes while he stares at me behind the shield. That's kind of like pointless. Like you already know the guy's going to be playing you on a mirror. Like to me, if you give them one mirror, it also makes defense more interesting because then maybe your mirror players like whatever side you're pushing that guy's flexing around on where to put his mirror potentially or you just have different kind of setups to force them to go into a mirror like i think it makes defense more interesting than just like yeah we'll just put a front mirror and then you know maybe we'll put a blue mirror or we'll put a mirror towards freezer like that that's just very default things and it makes teams that maybe aren't that great they can play defense fine because they have mirror so then you're banning mirror and you know it just, oh, it, I feel like Mira's going to be a lot like banned a ton now with uh, like the Wamai ban. Like and the, Echo not, not needing to be banned all the time as well. Yeah, so I feel like, you know, when I'm thinking about operators that need to be nerfed, you look at the ones that are always banned in Pro League because those are typically a good sign of like what pro players think are game changing operators. And to be honest, no operator should be completely game changing by themselves. Mm -hmm. And Mira is one of those mm -hmm. operators. Uh, another option, what if you made it so that her mirror could be blown up like a deployable shield? What if you make it so it's fragile and a sledgehammer, a maverick torch or an explosive can can break it or can shatter it, for example? Like, what, a, what if you gave it a fragility that wasn't just the canister on the back? Because really her only, you know, when she was first released, the game was in such a different place. You know, you looked at vertical play when mirror was released. And it's like, what? You had Buck and Ash were really the only two operators that you could get beneath a mirror and do any substantial damage with. And the natural counter to her at the time was Twitch. And Twitch was picked a ton. And Twitch was very useful for a number of reasons. Well, now Twitch is, is not as strong as she used to be. And now you've got Zofia. And now you've got explosives from below that people are using. And you've got different maps now where most mirror windows can be pressured either from above or below. What if you rework it to allow it so that it can be, you know, shot with a a grenade launcher like Ash can take care of it or Zofia can take care of it or a grenade can take care of it etc or to try hard to say though because if, if if it's that easy to take care of it Mira might drop off completely um, 
I don't know. I think that one mirror window is a better step, but I think that both of them are valuable to test. And this is what we should use the test server for. There should be an opportunity for us to test both of these versions of it. And then also maybe give people that use the test server something to for them actually using it. For example, a higher chance on alpha packs on the main game or ex double renown for playing TTS, something like that. Or after a specific amount of ga games, you get R6 credits. I don't know. Solve the problem. That's up to Ubisoft how, to, how they want to do it and how they want to reward their players. But give them something for it. Yeah, just do like test server charm, something like that. Yep. Anything. I used to be people anti... Want something I used it. to be anti, you need to incentivize people to use the test server, and now I'm very firmly let people use the test server. You absolutely should be incentivizing it. It's it's yeah. even with new content now, it's like pathetically low. You'll look on, on Steam charts, and I know Steam charts isn't the be-all end-all, we well, look on Steam charts and there's like maybe like a thousand people playing the test server. Should be more. And if, if you reward them, how many people will actually play it and figure out different things? And then maybe have these different changes being able or being able to be just swapped around. For example, maybe not that you like have one week with this and one week with the other, but you at least have it prepared to be tested somewhat close to each other so the game doesn't change too much around. Like you kind of only change around with the Mira rather than changing around a lot of things at the same time. But there needs to be something different that we, we can get some, some use out of the test server. I think it was you, Sets, who said before that the test server isn't really used for anything because the changes that we, that we say to them, it's already kind of set what it's going to be. I, I mean, I also think that the test server is, is titled a little bit, I mean, accurately, but our understanding of what they're testing is wrong. The test server, by and large, is used to test for bugs, not balancing, right? And I know that bugs still make it into the game. I get that. But the the purpose of the test server is to make sure that shit's not going to catch on fire when it goes live, not whether Zero needs grenades or not, or Tachanka needs withstand or not, right? We, we think, and I think we're correct, we think that the test server should be used to test new operators in a particular capacity and give immediate feedback on it. That's the purpose of the play tests, and that's what the test server should be about as well. But it seems like the purpose of the test server is continuously, is this going to crash our servers and destroy the game? No? Okay, cool. The test server did its job. So Why not test both? That's what I said. It should be both. Yeah. It should be. And I think incentivizing people to use the test server is a great idea. Obviously, it's already limited to PC players. Console players don't get access to it. And I hate to say it because console players are going to get angry, but honestly, how much top-level feedback are you going to get from console players playing on the test server you're going to get feedback it's not going to be it's it's unlikely to be aligned with what pro team scrimming on the ts are are going to find so but then again that goes back to the fact that people don't think the game should be in certain people don't think the game should be balanced for for pro play slash top level so i mean we can just talk in circles about that one but well i for one enjoyed when they had pro league on console uh, not for the high level of gameplay but for laughing at the way that they played so uh, I think that they should have it, but not maybe for the high quality, but for fun. We're trying to grow six on sixes reach in the console market, okay? And you're just destroying it with these. Lucky with... for you, I'm not here every week. Yeah, very um, lucky I for mean, me, actually. It's correct. They if, just have to give the access for uh, keyboarding mouse for them. Like oh, Fortnite, come on. Call of Duty and make a... Oh, all this thing gonna be a mess, you know. <laughs> it I is, think, I mean, it is. 
console aim assist. Bring oh, it back. No. It, 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 I mean, it doesn't need it. it you know, half, half of us, our community came from console, even on PC. But I mean, if if TTS is is that valuable, then we should be looking to implement it into the main game as an option from the main menu and on all platforms. Like, if it generally is that important for for bug testing and for balancing, like I'm pretty sure for Honor, they they run theirs through their their main client, their their uh, test server. Um, I think a lot of titles generally do all from the same login. So it's to have to download an entire client by itself. And it's a huge file as well. Like most people's SSDs aren't up to handling it. Um, and there's there's like in our region, like we can't get a game on test server, even though we've got people that download. You just sit I there can't get a game on like test server, man. Hours. I can't. I, yeah, I wait so like 40 minutes. And I mean, that's just, yeah, it's... I think that would solve a lot of a lot of problems, and as well as incentivization. Because if you can get it into your main client, then it's a lot easier to incentivize as well. Because things directly, you know, you're earning renown, you're earning packs, you know, these sorts of things. And so, if you can if you can implement the TTS into your main client as an option, as an in-game event, if you will, for the TTS, and and then have like levels, have like you know, like like a mini battle pass almost, right? Have ten or twenty levels of test server where you can you get a legendary pack at the end of it and a couple of purples or something along the way, maybe a charm. Um and have it on main client. I think that needs to be the objective, right? In terms of like scalability, if you generally want to do it, this should have started a year or two ago. Like but if it's something that they, they start looking at or considering now, then like it's already too late. Like what was the vision of the test server two years ago? What was it scalability or was it just an afterthought and we just try and force, you know, the sheep through the gate, right? I mean, if we don't have it now when we should have had it before, it's basically like the story of Rainbow Six. We still don't have a replay system yet, even though it, yeah. was, it was announced when? It was announced at SI last year? Still don't have it. Yeah. We finally like, got the ability to, have... to pause the game five years after the game launched. We had no, to actually, fight tooth and nail had... for a HUD for ages. Actually, like, Actually, we had pause. And they uh, uh, they put out the game. Uh, I think in 2017, and never explained why. We we had now they 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 put again in the game, yeah, and still don't explain don't don't explain why they uh, 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 they were not putting uh, in those three or four years without pause in the game. You know, I, I don't know. What to think about that? Because uh, something, some, some, some things they, uh, uh, something, uh, there are some things they uh, add in the game. They are, don't explain uh, why uh, uh, um, th there wasn't uh, in the in the last year, you know, in in those last years. And I mean, balls, we still only have one was... spectator slot too. We used to have more yeah, than we, we used to have we had two. two. Now we have one, we had two. unless it's land. Yes. Yeah. And they don't explain why. Uh, it's it's strange, you know. The communication of Ubisoft sometimes is it's really awkward. Yeah. We have a lot of areas where we don't know anything of what's going on. Yeah. It, it's it's we were supposed tough. to have in-game tournaments this year. Yep. Sorry. Remember they announced we're going to have in-game tournaments this year. I remember last SI. I remember that. They also announced the like World Cup thing, and I think that's just like 
on the back burner. I mean, I guess COVID, but didn't they, they say it got postponed it. to like tw- until next year or something? Yeah, but they yeah, announced like they announced that while COVID was going on, right? And and numerous other issues even within their own esport league. So that was like weird timing to me to kind of say, hey, we know all the NAL orgs are leaving, but look, USA. That like is kind of random timing. Uh, I mean, that. I also uh, I also think that a World Cup is is not needed, not this late into the game's lifespan, because then the the like the nationality that wins will be like the World Cup champs. But we already have think, we already fucking we, argue about world champions are anyway. So it's it, like it's, now we're just it's nobody's gonna skirt like. I don't know when it would even be, but nobody's going to practice with like the World Cup team over their real team yeah. or anything like that. So, and frankly, I, I'm I'm just going to look at this from like a a, a a spectator perspective. How much money do you think they spent to get Tony Parker to to do that? And then, how much money are they going to spend on the actual event itself? How much money are they, they going to spend promoting this? Parker. And and how much of well, that money were, could yeah. go back towards the esports program? They're looking at like a list of celebrities, like how much it costs. And they're like, they go to the very bottom and it's like Tony Parker, $50. <laughs> like, that's how I hope they got there. Like out of everybody, they're just like, yeah, we need Tony Parker to endorse this. That's going to get everybody going. <laughs> like, I hope it was near the bottom. <laughs> we, we already have pseudo world championships. Like BDS is France. Pick any fucking Brazilian team. Like, most of the major good U.S. teams are entirely American. You know, you've got Geo, who's who's Mexican. You've got obviously Fox A and, and Canadian, who are Canadian. But it's like you can basically pick like an American team, Dark Zero, because you know Hyper is Greek. No, he's not. He's actually American. I don't know why we keep talking about why he's Greek. It's <laughs> like his his lineage is is Greek. His last name has a lot of letters. That's it. That's all that matters. Um. <laughs> You know, so it's like you get Dark Zero for North America, you get BDS. And I understand they had to institute these wonky rules where they're like, yeah, no more than like two or three players on one team could be on a team. And it's like, well, but why not? Like, why do you have to force regions to intermingle? Like, the whole purpose of the World Cup is marketing. Penguins not going to play the World Cup. Sorry? Penguins not going to play the World Cup. Yeah, because, I mean, Den- uh, name one other <laughs> Danish, name one other good Danish player. <laughs> I mean, Cyronic did play in a final once back in 115 years ago. I mean, I, I will say this, Fabian, you're not good enough for Team Sweden anymore. Would you consider moving bad, to man. Would you consider moving to Denmark to compete as a Dane? <laughs> I, I need to swallow a potato and learn how to speak with that in first. Um, I, I don't think that's, uh, that's something I would do, no. I'd rather just sit at home. But then again, the, all the rules are only to screw over Sweden because we only have one team with three Swedes in it, and we have no other Swedes, so it's only to screw us over. What are you Nothing talking about? Else. Renewal's retired. Secretly is now gone because Chaos is gone. Red Groove could easily come back. Now you join oh, him. They're all, There's they're four of you now. Technically, yeah. technically, Chaos getting relegated is the best thing never happened to Sweden's national team. <laughs> so... You they were they were thinking ahead. Chaos was so kind to prioritize the World Cup over their own pro league careers that they got relegated so that they could all reunite yeah. to make a tear through the World Cup. 
you are so intelligent. They decided, that, hey, we're not going to win EUL. We might as well win the World Cup and get ourselves relegated. And <laughs> and Spoit might be 18 by the time it rolls around next year. Isn't he just 16? I, I didn't stop Foxy. I mean, it's the only thing we have to talk about. I heard from a reputable North American player that Spoit cheats. Okay. No, a Canadian. He's a fellow Canadian like yourself, so you should be aligned with your countrymen. Do you agree with his sentiment? <laughs> you can't do this to my countryman. We want to have at least one talent. I don't know. I just I saw the World Cup announcement, and I was like, "Hey, like this is cool from the sense that everybody's wanted this." Like people have talked about the World Cup for for ages about how badly they want to see these teams compete. I thought it was kind of silly because it's like if you're going to build a French team, they're not going to let BDS just go. They're going to force them to bring on other players, which is cool to watch. But then at the same time, it's like you're you're destroying any potential competitive integrity by forcing these teams to mix and mingle. And it's just marketing. That's all it is. And we already have a pretty crammed schedule to begin with. Players are already talking about how they want time off. They get time off from like December to February. Some of these teams that didn't qualify for SI had like December to March off. And they're complaining now that it's too much. No offense, these teams that didn't qualify for SI are sure not going to fucking be qualifying for the World Cup necessarily. And if they do, they're probably not going to be taking it very seriously. It's just eating up valuable time, money, and resources that could be going towards pro play finals, majors, the SI, etc. And if they turn around and that 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 three-stage, three-day system I propose, they turn around and they're like, oh, well, it's too much money. Yeah, well, maybe if you didn't have the World fucking Cup, you'd have money to actually put into that program. How much do you think Tony Parker cost? Probably at least $100,000. So it's like, imagine where that money could go. (laughs) There's no way Tony Parker costs $100,000. I think Tony Parker could be walking down the street right now. One out of 10 people would recognize it. That's not true. He's a legend. A legend where? He's a San Antonio Spurs legend. You're from Texas. You should know this. He's a garbage player. I mean, even Seth would cost more money to hire in than that guy, I That's think. true. More people might recognize me. Most likely in Siege community, yes. Uh, but look at players in my situation, for example. I come from a country where we, we're most likely not going to have a chance at all to win that tournament. Basically because we only have, well, four players in the highest league, and then I don't even know if we have anyone in the second tier. You're spoiled. Well, he's mm. 16, so it doesn't really matter. Do you think that I'm going to focus on the struggling team that I have in my professional career that is paying my salary year round? Or do you think I will focus on winning a, wait, no, not winning a tournament with other guys from another team and spend time with them? Like, it's just unrealistic. The teams that don't have a chance to qualify are not going to send up, or the, the, the players that are in teams that are struggling are not going to go for that tournament. They're going to stick to their own team because they need to focus on actually making a living. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be like the Overwatch World Cup. After the Overwatch World Cup ended, half the team said they didn't even practice. Like, yeah. what, why are you doing we, this? Why, like, I'm pretty sure we would be forced to. And I mean, I, like, I get it for the Overwatch World Cup because it happened during BlizzCon. It happened during like Blizzard's biggest event. There was really nothing else going on. They wanted to bring people in. It was a good way to get people in the door to watch Overwatch. It was a good way to get Overwatch fans in. I understand perfectly why Overwatch did it. 
and it would be good for us if like the six invitational wasn't already a competition if si was just three days of like ubisoft and rainbow six adoration then maybe throw the world cup in there cool now there's a reason for people to show up but si kind of already has an event and if anybody tells you that the world cup is bigger than si they're fucking lying to your face so where in the calendar does this fit in? Are we just going to have like a big three-day event where we fly people in? Well, well, why why do this? Why eat up resources for this? Why not just have a major? I, I don't know. I just, I don't really get it. I don't, I don't understand the World Cup. I'm not a huge fan of it. I never was. Every single time somebody on stream or on Twitter would be like, what about a World Cup? And I'd always say, why? What is, give me a valid reason why. We already basically have a World Cup with how regional some teams are. So who gives a shit? That's where I'm at. It's a meme. Is it? It's a meme. I, I just hope Look, every country is just going to send some random ass players from uh, ranked, take ranked top list from your country, pick the top five and send them away. Have fun. You're probably got a better chance than putting five mismatch pro players, to be fair. I the mean, ranked guys will figure it out. They will not have a chance to, to, to get good as a team. No, but I think that they said that they want us to play and practice with the team, national team, and that they will pay the organizations for our time. But then again, Not I'm wasting, t yeah, I'm wasting time practicing with with Swedish players rather than focusing on what's going to pay my salary for for the next one well, nine months if 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 shit hits the fan. So it, it, it just those five ranked players would also fucking love that shit, and they they would actually go there to try to win. I think that most players in, in the highest leagues, they would just go there to have fun. That's the thing. It's, it's fun, right? It, it's a paycheck. Yeah. It's a paycheck because you're going to win something. But overall, it's, it's marketing. And, and the other thing, too, that, that everything that we've talked about today and everything that gets brought up is that esports begins to make a lot more sense when you realize that it's not actually about the competition and running a proper league. It's about good marketing. Mm -hmm. That's what esports is. People freak out and they say, well, well, why are these skins not banned in pro play? Because they want you to see the skins and buy them. That's why. It doesn't matter if there's any competitiveness behind them or not. Why do you think Ember Rises is so fucking popular? Because you blend in. That's it. And of course they want that market in a top level play. And, and the amount of times that I'm sure somebody at Ubisoft would sit down with the executives and make a comment about, oh, we need to make this change. And they'd say, well, well, what, well, we kind of want like to sell skins. Is that going to cost us money? Are we going to see lower profits? Probably. Well, then we don't do it. Fortnite's the biggest example of that. Like Fortnite would institute a new item the morning before a massive tournament and would not ban it. And next thing you know, the sword, the, sword, the plane, yes. the mech, like they did, they'd announce these things like 24, 48, 72 hours before a huge tournament. And then the players who've been scrimming and playing without it all of a sudden lose their fucking minds because they're like, oh my God, this fucking infinity sword is in the game and it can kill everybody in one hit and you can fly across the map. And then Epic just goes, yeah, deal with it. Why? Because every little Timmy and Tommy who's watching this on, on Twitch, all over a million of them are going to see the sword and be like, holy fuck, I need that. And guess what? It works. It works. It works. <laughs> It works and then the players lose their minds and then they grumble on Twitter and then you know their 40,000 followers on Twitter see it and then 52 million people that play Fortnite don't give a single fuck and just go play it anyway. 
the winner won the, the, the tournament with the sword. Yep. I hate to say it, and that's the one thing I like. I kind of got to give credit to certain devs that do prioritize esports. Is that you know I, I don't think for a second that Riot is doing an esports system the way they do out of the kindness of their heart. They're doing it because they can make money off of it, you know. But it, at the same time, I do appreciate that that certain devs have a focus on esports, and I don't necessarily I don't necessarily I don't necessarily know if all of Ubisoft does. I think Ubisoft does a has obviously a, a contingent of of people that quite like esports and the esports teams work pretty hard but i mean it's there's a there's a casual side to it too and sometimes the they win. now i'm interrupting you twice and it's just not getting through parker now i'm gonna talk talking uh but the team the, not the teams the games that stick along for a long time they are the competitive games that are focused around well competition look at counter-strike counter-strike has been around for longer than I have been born, almost. Well, okay, maybe not me, but well, it's been years. along around long, around longer than Spoil, and it, that stuff is just crazy. Dota has been around forever as well. League of Legends has been around forever as well. Those games that focus on the competitive aspect of it will have longevity because they are focused on the competitiveness. It is the players that are hardcore and the players that would stick around. No matter what happens, as long as the game is good for them, that's going to make a game stay for a long time. There's going to come a game sometime that's going to take shit tons of players from Siege. She's going to come. Valorant might have taken some from Counter-Strike, but I don't think Counter-Strike has even dipped in players. No. The, the Why question is that, that those asked, games though, are... Is, is CSGO making the same amount of money by doing this as Call of Definitely. Duty is? Because every single year there's a new Call of Duty, and every single year... It either breaks records or it's the best-selling game of the year. And it makes a Look shitload the of money. For CS:GO skins, sorry, that's where they make money. The market for CS:GO skins, that's where they make money. Oh, absolutely, Jesus and Christ. CS:GO makes a ton and of the, money. And the boxes that they sell, the, the keys for it, that's so ooh, they make so the much money. Money that goes into making COD and releasing COD yearly and all the tournaments and stuff they do for COD, I'm sure they spend way more money than CS:GO is spending yearly on their game because. CSGO has been around for so long where it's just like they don't really have to market it at all. They just release, you know, some new skins, new crates every year. They have tournaments for esports and the same people that have always been playing it will keep playing it. And then they'll get new players every year where COD, they're releasing a new game every year. So every single year they have to market the game. They run all these commercials. They have to, you know, have developers build a whole new game. They have all these tournaments for a new game like the amount of money that COD spends yearly on each game is probably like astronomical compared to what a league or a CSGO is spending on their games. They don't even, those games really don't even need to be marketed at this point. Everybody just knows what they are. Or, you know, if you're a newer player, one of your friends is going to be like, hey, have you, have you played CSGO? And then that's how it starts. You know, so I, I think that those games are, that's where, that's where games aim to be. At a point where they don't even have to market the game to get, uh, you know, traction. Yeah, there's, there's apparently uh, only like five people who work on CS:GO, or some stupidly low number as well. I think COD's MTX is insane as well, though. Like, rumor has it they made like half a billion dollars from the dogs alone. Yeah, all the end game items for sure. Yeah, and it's for free. Like, you play for free yeah. the, those those games, you know. This helps so a lot I, to me. Yeah. 
I think it's just that's their audience, right? Like CS is, is used to their game and, and the COD players are used to a new game every year and I think that's what they do. I think, you know, uh, how they handle um, Warzone is, is going to be a different learning curve for them. I think all in all, they probably did the right thing trying to how they're implementing the game, but I think it's sort of like what, what they're used to. Um, I think it's hard to compare either of them each way, because like Overwatch, I think, was it, it sort of tried to do its own thing and it failed. So I think they sort of might be stuck in, in their own ecosystem in, in terms of what their players expect from from each individual developer as well. That's true. I mean, Whereas obviously... Like we're, Siege we're... for Ubi, they haven't had a game like this, right? Vegas was out for a few years. They release a new Assassin's Creed every other year. Um, most of their titles, yeah, are linear storytelling. Um, they haven't had a game like this, so they, they sort of uh, are getting through it the best way they can. I think it's pretty safe to say that for most of the earnings calls that we see, this is absolutely Ubisoft's cash cow. You know, I mentioned earlier that SI is Rainbow Six's biggest event. It's Ubisoft's biggest event. Ubisoft does not have a BlizzCon. Six Invitational is probably the closest thing that they're ever going to get to that unless they yep. start doing like UbiCon or something. Because SI, SI is more than just the competition. SI is also all about community and stuff like that. And it's it's really big at bringing in content creators and having content creators show matches and having cosplayers show up and, and going through the history of Rainbow Six, which I think is awesome. I, I, as a caster, I don't know if any of you guys did because all of you were, all of us are there under very different circumstances. But I don't know if any of you got a chance at the last SI to actually wander the concourse and look at all the stuff they had last year. It was incredible. Things like early stills of the game, early footage, in development, concept art, you know, little trinkets and mementos of past events and recognizing certain players and talking about, you know, certain certain teams. It was so cool. It's amazing that the team at Ubisoft which was, it was a lot of people, but, but Lore was a big part of it, Stuart was a big part of it, Way was a big part of it, Max, etc. All of the team that worked on SI last year from UB Montreal did such a good fucking job, and, and they all deserve just so much credit for, for the presentation of it. Just, if I was to go to that event as a spectator, I would have more than gotten my money's worth. Obviously, I was there to work it, so I had a very different, a very different view of it, but it was incredible, and I'm sure that people that went can say the same thing, and SI's only gotten better year over year, so for Ubisoft, it, it, it kind of blows me away that Rainbow Six is its cash cow. What was it? Two years ago, it brought in $600 million in revenue, which obviously is not all profit. There, it was actually their second highest grossing game, I think, after some shark mobile game, I think was like their highest grossing game. Mobile games make an absurd amount of money. But then you're right. Every other game that they put out, even the ones that are games as a service, like For Honor, like The Division, you know, like Ghost Recon, they make a fraction of the money. And even though Assassin's Creed comes out, and this year in particular, Assassin's Creed came out at the perfect time because Cyberpunk had been pushed back, and Assassin's Creed came out and it broke all the records for Assassin's Creed launches, etc. That's basically a one-time payment. You can't really monetize Assassin's Creed the same way that you can monetize Rainbow Six. So it, it does kind of it does kind of puzzle me that they don't. I don't want to say they treat Rainbow Six better, but it does kind of puzzle me that they don't invest more into it, given its place in Ubisoft's catalog yeah i think especially our mtx is is really lacking we could be doing so much more especially our skins our can we talk about our skins please <laughs> yeah yeah i mean the the fact of the matter is i i i maybe play three games of valorant every 
quarter, and I probably spend more on that than I do Siege, right? Like, for the most part, it's... I think there's so much more we could be doing in, in MTX as a whole. Um, in in operator gadgets, in, in like gun skins, just everything. I think our MTX is, is super underwhelming. And, and you know, we but I, I honestly think Ubisoft could be like nearly doubling their revenue share, their their revenue from um from Siege. Yep. I mean you look at the different quality on skins that for example, look at Dark Zero skin. How good isn't that one in the the last one and well Sonic skin as well for that matter. They look sick. Why haven't we gotten that at all or anything even close to it in five years? What what's what 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 would be the coolest skin after that? Anyone has an idea? Uh, I mean you have to go back to Red Crow, I think, to be honest. I mean people talk about black eyes and the the glacier skins. That that's year one, season one. So yeah. for five years we have well, those two that were sold in bundles back back in year one, season one, and now year five. Why I haven't we have... had anything during yep. that time? And I still have the the best skin from Termite uh, from the the year one pro league. Oh, the blue and gold one. The, yes. Yeah. The, this is the the most beautiful skin they uh, ever made for Termite, and I agree with uh, Fabian. Five years to to. To get a little bit close to that, uh, it's it's too much. I mean, I think the answer is obvious there because you know Fabian brought up uh, our skin and Dark Zero skin. We outsourced that. We had you know Dead Bird, who's a pretty well known like community graphic guy. Now I think he's the head for Dark Zero. I literally DM'd him and said, "Hey, uh, do you have the ability to make a gun skin?" And from there, you know, he ended up making ours and Dark Zeros. And in my opinion, they're by far the two best in the game. They're the most creative. So, uh, like, and then, you know, that kind of inspired a lot of other people. You see all kinds of great designs out there from community people. There's a lot of talented people in the community. So why, you know, what's stopping Rainbow from going like a CSGO route and having community skins made, you know, once or twice a year? How much revenue would that bring in, you know, to... You just have these really original skins once or twice a year on so-and-so weapons. They probably would be the best skins in the game from from the designs I've seen. I don't like and and I know Ubisoft likes to involve the community and do stuff like that. So I, I really don't see how that hasn't been a uh like something that they've they've thought of doing yet. Community Yeah, or like Yeah, content. Imagine making a new page inside the game where before or like a month before every every like DLC comes out, you have a page where you can vote. You have ten votes or something like that, and they put up fifty skins or they put up a hundred skins, and you can give those skins one point or two points depending on what you feel like, and then put in the top fifteen skins, top twenty skins into the game, and put them with the, the content creator that made them. They make a cut of that. And Ubisoft takes the rest like the, they do with the with the skins for the pilot program, obviously. Imagine if yeah. they did a split like that. Imagine how many people would invest their time into making sick ass skins because they first of all they could make money out of it and they could also get their skin into a game. I, I also people like would... how both Dizzle and Melly went to speak at the same time, stopped, both went to speak again, stopped, and then instead of letting one of them go, Fabian just jumped in. <laughs> Start talking and stuff. You go. Violence, momentum. You go, Melly. <laughs> <laughs>
um, they they need to 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 do exactly what uh, what uh, CS:GO do in, on Steam. Uh, the Steam market, uh, they they need to uh, 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 to let the the community uh, 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 do the job. You know, CS:GO, CS:GO, Dota 2, uh, uh, they uh, uh, let the community do the job, and they do really good. They did they, they really do really well. You know, so uh, I I don't know uh, what they they are waiting for for doing this. I saw uh, Montaigne uh, Shield with Beskar, the 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 item from from the Mandalorian, you know. Okay. Yeah, yeah, Beskar Steel. Yeah. The the Beskar Steel, yes. Uh, uh, sometimes words uh, I, f- I yes. forgot some words, but uh, yes, uh, the Beskar Steel uh, and it was was really amazing, man. It was from. A fan of Rainbow Six. It was made from a fan of Rainbow Six. Let those guys do the job, man. It, it's it's simple as that. I, I'm. This is the thing that I've spoken to Ubisoft employees about in the past. Was we did have community made skins. We had the uh, Valentine's Day skin. If I remember correctly, yeah. was was made by somebody. Yeah. Valentine's Day skin was made in collaboration. We got with the somebody. Space Invader one. I still use that to this day. The Space Invader for Mute MP5K with my white noise charm looks like the little Space Invader. I mean, I don't know exactly which one it is. I do know that we've just done it in the past, and it's happened They're in the community. Like and then I I remember I just had a conversation with somebody at Ubisoft, and I said, "Why don't you let people design skins and then just like either pay them a revenue cut or something like that?" And and they say, "Oh, well, it's." It's a legal headache. And it's like, I can see that, but at the same time, then just like bring these people on and pay them like a set amount or something like that. You know, like Deadbird makes great stuff. Is it, is it the kind of stuff that we're used to seeing in Rainbow Six? Absolutely not. But it's great. You know, it's got that hype beast kind of merch style, which seems to be taking over most esports and Valorant has based most of its identity around. And I think it looks really good. You know, and I hate to be critical of the Ubisoft art team because I know that they do good work, but I find so many gun skins and uniform reskins are just absolutely uninspired. Do we need another? I mean, do we need another gray or red variant of the same Ash headgear or the same Jaeger headgear just with a different gray or blue tint? No, we don't. We don't need that. Like, and then I see all these pictures at the start of every single season, where you know Legion's cardboard T5 SMG. Or that one zero gun, uh, a zero's weapon, yep. where it's got like the wolf howling and the cosmos in the background, or like the Nook headgear mop. That's cool yep. as hell. But the problem is, is that most of the really good skins get tucked away in alpha packs, and you're never going to get them. And both Pengu and Macy did some basic math and realized that with how much they've played, they are still missing a substantial portion of stuff that other people have. And there's yeah. no way for them to get it. It's still Wait, weird yeah. that you purchase alpha packs at this point. Like I would think that'd be something you could buy by now. Just I buy, think like, yeah. gambling is the issue there. A lot yeah. of countries block that because of because of gambling laws. But I think all you need to do to solve that is create a rotating store. A weekly store or a daily store. Valorant obviously having huge success out of it. People are logging on every day to spend sixty bucks on whatever daggers up. You know, Destiny's that their entire models survived off that for yeah. for f- nearly fucking ten years. 
So I think all you need is, is in your store, just have a rotating store tab. And, you know, two, two of these, these legendaries pop up every, every other week, every three, four days. Uh, you know, people, and, and it costs real money, right? Don't, like, make it cost R6 credits. It doesn't have to cost Renown. And, and instantly you've got another revenue option that people don't need to spend if they don't want it. But, you know, someone that's happy to spend 10 bucks or something on, on these items will happily every three days log in. It's just, not even, just to it's see not even what 10 it is. bucks, Dizzle. Some of the skins in Valorant are 40 fucking dollars. Oh, I, I, I spent them. $60 like, on a knife on Valorant, yeah. I looked up a knife that was in my Valorant store the other night, and after tax and, and fees and conversion, it came to like $54 Canadian for a, yeah. for a digital knife. And you know what? And you're, I suck. see that same knife in-game almost every other game. So people are buying it. Like, I think yeah, I've just spent give us a rotating store. Did you say five? I think I've spent more money on Valorant than I have on Siege. And I played like maybe a hundred Valorant games in total, and I spent more money on that game than I have on Siege. Yeah. I did yeah, not buy the knife for the, in a for rotating the... store. By the way, bring back old seasonal ones that you know our, our community has grown exponentially in in the last four years. Like back when Red Crow was around, like when Habana would crash entire lobbies, like that was some of the darker days of Siege, and the community do- can't even get some of the best seasonal skins from Red Crow. Like, you know, put them in, in, in the rotating store, have an old seasonal skin appear, like have one or two of those, have, have, a, have a rare charm or like the cupcakes, dinosaurs, like all these things that, that have been there. Like you could easily come up with, with five or six items to rotate through that store weekly for, for real money, R6 credit to be purchased for an MTX. Doji charm. I agree. Yeah. And I, one, of the things, charm. one of the things that I've said as well, which has gotten no traction, was I talked to somebody from Ubisoft a while back. And the way that I was led to believe uh, was that they, because they marketed some of these skins as limited time only, they worry about what happens if they reintroduce these skins now. And I, I said, you could, so like, it's, it's off, like people who have them already. And I think that's fucking dumb. There's no trading in this game. The people who complain that are like, but it shows that I was around at the beginning. Fuck off. Like, I can't stand that. I'm sorry. It makes me so angry when people do that. Like, cool. You played the game before other people. I think I should be rewarded for that. I think Atero sounds like someone who's mad he doesn't have Glacier. Yep. Sounds but like it. Like, if they want better servers, better infrastructure, better anti-cheat, this all costs money. Yep. Like, that's where they're going to get it from, is from your precious skin. It will also cut down on the amount of people who have phishing attempts for older accounts as well. You know, like, look at how many people specifically yoink or sell accounts because they have Glacier on it. And one thing yeah, that I have suggested is, okay, so you don't want to re-release Black Ice, you don't want to re-release Glacier, you don't want to re-release some of the early pro skin sets, etc. You don't want to bring back some early seasonal skins. Fine. Here's a good middle ground. Every single year, the road to SI, you take the SI logo, that's six, and the little the little thing behind it, whatever exact shape that is, you slap it on the gun, you put the year underneath it, and you re-release some of the old skins with the new SI branding on a corner of it to distinguish A, this is here to promote the SI, and B, it's different from all the little precious snowflakes that need to have their original skins and need to feel good because they were here in the game. And you create like an SI store or or even put them in fucking SI packs where you have to pay real money for them like they've done before. 
re-release some of the old seasonal skins, re-release the crossfader skin, re-release that that the Red Bull skin that everybody's been talking about recently, re-release some of the Red Crow skins as well with the, I think the nicest one is the, it's got like the white doves on it or whatever. Uh, I think it's a crane, but yeah. It can be a crane, whatever. Put the six invitational logo on it. Sell it for real money. Put that money towards SI. Put that money towards esports. Put that money towards the servers. Who knows? Literally do that. And then just sell it for six invitational. And that's the only time it's available. And then people spend real money on it. Cool. Easy. Look like that. You just made a ton of money. Take away the randomness. Don't give it the packs. You You can choose which skin you want to buy. You can put a little bit higher price on it, probably because of that. And just don't do the packs. Just, I want that skin. That's the skin I'm going to buy. You want to buy them all in a pack? Do it like Valorant. You can buy an entire bundle. Here you go. These are the skins you get. Yep. The problem it's, is, is that selling individual true. skins in Rainbow Six would be a lot of money, right? Like the the thinking behind it is that people will spend, it's nefarious. It's It's designed to try and pick away at our gambling obsessions that we all have. Because if you were to buy a skin by itself, it might cost you 10, 15 bucks. But if you can buy like the two or three skins you want, you're spending less than the $70 to buy all the skins. And I'll and I'll be totally honest, like the the gold rush or whatever, what was the what was the money heist event that it was called where you had to get the safes open? Remember that one? What was that one called? Oh, yeah, the one where you shot them through the floor and they just the lots of me. Yeah. Grand yeah, Larceny. Grand Larceny. Grand Larceny. That's right. There was like two good skins in that whole thing. So I have I have two options. Either I gamble on getting the skin I want or I have to buy all $70 worth of the packs. If I wanted to buy the skins on my own, then I'd just spend 20 to 30 bucks and get the two skins I want and walk away. But people are going to feel compelled to spend the full $70 because they don't really have a lot of options, right? That's the purpose is that they want you to spend the full 70 bucks because yeah. most of the skins are, in my opinion, pretty bland. I don't want them. Yeah. But do you think so, that people would buy that then? Yeah, so my feedback on this was if it costs $70 for the full bundle, don't make the skins $5 a pop. Make them $15 a pop, right? So if I want two skins, you're going to get $15 a skin. You're going to get $30 to $50 for a, for the two skins as opposed to $70 for the lot because then it's value add, right? It's the same thing like that, that, that fast food has been doing for decades. The large is a dollar extra, right? Um, and you won't go small to large, so medium is the price they sell you at, so you then go, well, I'll just get the large for an extra dollar. So if they dead set on a budget only want two skins, they'll spend 30 to 40 bucks, and, and you'll get the 30 to $40 out of me, where you're dividing a lot of the market, it's either zero or 70. And so they don't have that price leader to then walk people up to the 70. And so for me, for the mute protocol, for the Grand Larceny, they got zero dollars. Yeah, I didn't, buy, I didn't buy a single Grand Larceny pack. And I didn't buy a but, single one of the Halloween packs either because there was like two skins in it I wanted. Yeah, but they would have got 50 bucks from each of them from me if they had done it the other way or $50 over two, right? Yeah. So I think there's a lot of revenue being missed there from, and I imagine if there's already two of us out of this call, we're already at like what, 33%, something like that, nearly 50% of this call shares that sentiment. And if that carry rings true across the entire player base, then, then there's, there's millions being lost did either of you buy any of the grand larceny or the new halloween packs no i I don't buy the skins anymore because you can't wear them in comp so it's pointless melly said no fabian did you i said no so none of us bought the halloween or grand larceny packs no none of us i mean not that obviously we speak for everybody 
but I'm sure that there were people that were in the same boat. And I can, I can tell you right now that if they'd sold those skins individually, I would have spent some money. But the question that then needs to be answered is would us spending 15, $20, $30 here or there make up for the other people who almost assuredly bought the whole set because they wanted one or two skins? Cause that has to have happened. All they need to do is do it the next launch, the next event they have, run it like that and look at look at the revenue and, and see if it works or not. Like worst case scenario, maybe they've lost out on a bit of revenue and it hasn't worked that way. But I, I personally can't imagine a world in which they lose that much for that exercise to know. I mean, they have they have people that they hopefully pay lots of money that look at the numbers and and come to a a decision, right? Like. What's like, your, yeah, how are you maximizing your click. revenue? So yeah, it's it's like I said. Uh, people like to collect. Uh, I have all the lit skins, but uh, do I like all the lit skins? No, but I want to to have them. You know, some people like to to have uh, 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 unique things, and this works for for every game. And and of course, it's gonna it's gonna work with Rainbow Six too. I don't know. Uh, they they have to release the those uh, uh, old skins again in some way, I, shape, or form. Yeah, Fortnite did it, and look at the success they had when they brought back some of those skins. Yes, people literally reinstalled the game just to buy them. I I think never people the underestimate how much we'll we'll spend on virtual outfits. Mm-hmm. I mean, look at how much how much do you think Seth paid for that sweater? <laughs> What? Probably, I mugged probably... somebody for it. I paid nothing. You mugged somebody for it. Yeah. I think, I think he said begged, but we just didn't hear. No, I mugged. I live in Harrisburg, so it's rough out there in the streets. Okay. You never know what happens. <laughs> Wait, you saw a DC fan on the street? I didn't think they had those. It does kind of look like the DZ shirt, yeah. No, I thought it was. Oh, whatever. It's a supreme on it. It's oh, like, yeah, I've never seen it. I've never seen a Dark Zero fan in person, but I hear them on Twitter a lot. That's because you never make it to LAN. I that think honestly it's because they don't go to LAN because they already know they're going to lose. So why would you fly out and be disappointed? <laughs> Just their it's entire Russian business ball. models online. Oh. I, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a fan of everybody. So technically you met me. What do you have to say about that? You can't be a fan of everybody. Okay, well... He doesn't like our team very much. <laughs> Me? Yeah. I like Fnatic. I, I've asked to cast no. you guys. I don't... I, and I will secretly say, I do not ask to cast certain teams all the time, but two teams that I have asked to cast multiple times happen to be Nip and Fnatic. So... Because ah, they're always bangers. I mean, Actually, you guys also played like five matches Fnatic against each team. other in Paris as well, so. The Brazilian That's community uh, oh, love yeah. a lot uh, Fnatic. It's hard to Thank dislike you. Fnatic. Yes. I, I find. Ah, people manage. No. Uh, we have, we're making well on time right now, by the way. It's about, about three hours. We can find one last topic and then conclude. And I think that the topic that we should go on is SI predictions i'm gonna make it i'm gonna put you in an uncomfortable spot but we gotta make some predictions and i'll join in as well let's pick the four teams that go home from groups and then the final four teams at the entire event and 
I'll start with Fabian, who right, is currently finding page. it on Liquipedia. Yeah, let's see. All right. Four teams that go home from groups, four teams that make it to the finals, the final four. And, and chat interaction, by the way, is welcomed. If you're watching this on YouTube, feel free to put your prediction in the comments below. If you're watching this on Twitch, you can put it in the chat right now. Who's going out first? Who's uh, making Final Four? Fabian, start. Cloud9 goes out together with Furia from Group A. And I think that Wildcard will go out together with Al Altiora, or however that's pronounced. Uh, top four is going to be G2, BDS, NIP, and TSM. Okay. BDS is going to win it. BDS, G2, NIP, and TSM. All right. And G2 is going to lose it in the grand final. You think That's it'll it. be BDS, yeah, G2 in the finals? Yeah, I can't let them win, obviously. Because, again, win percentage of attended invitationals is supposed to be mine. So I need to be... G2 is not allowed to win. 66% of invitationals won to the attended invitationals. That's a good number. It's going to be the highest number after February. Mm, I'm crying out loud. All right, Dizzle. Who do you think goes out first? Um, two from A, two from B. Who makes it to the finals? Keep in mind yeah, that there's, I, you don't need to pick groups for the finals if anybody's watching this and they go to the Liquipedia page. That because there's a loser's bracket, the finals could be both teams from the same group. But two teams will be going out from each group. Yeah, I think it, it's probably going to be Wildcard and Eltiora. From Group B, Emkis did just lose their regional Italian final, though. So with the coach playing, yes. But I feel like Emkis have the aggression that's needed to to win a few games that maybe they they might not like. They might be able to get a win over over Oxygen or something like that. I think um, it's it's a tough bracket, but maybe they can upset an SSG or something like that. Just with how aggressive they are, I think Wildcard might be a little too fundamental for the BO1s, which is the only reason I'm sort of passing it on to them. The rest, I mean, you've got some absolute juggernauts in Group B. I think that's a tough group for, for those three teams. Uh, a, I think, yeah, likely Furia. Um, maybe Cyclops. Cyclops or C9. I, I, I think they both got the potential to get it out. I just don't know who would drop down. Maybe FaZe in an absolute upset, right? They've been a shadow of their former self. Um, but C9 and, and, and Cyclops, I think, can actually do quite well. Uh, I just think the others are all super strong in there as well. So, you know, maybe FaZe on an outlier um, might go out. I think top four is likely to be G2, TSM, Ninjas, maybe even a DZ, I think. Okay. It's land, is all. <laughs> well, we don't know that yet, right? Like, we don't know. It might actually be played online just in, in a physical vicinity. So we need, need a bit more information there. But, yeah, I think Liquid could be a strong chance as well. I think the... I don't know, DZ just seemed like a bit of dark horses to me. They've... I think TSM's been a lot stronger throughout the year, but they were they were a team that we've always struggled playing against. Like most teams at the SI, they were they were the ones like at last SI we played like like Empire and Phase right to come out of groups into G two, uh, into TSM into BDS like and DZ. I think were a lot more uncomfortable for us to play against just their play style. So did you know, a few teams might struggle. The... Like when you played DZ, or did they have time to prep for you? No, 
okay. they just did things really in an unorthodox fashion. Okay. Um, and being that like there's not a lot of NA teams up there, they might be able to get away with it, you know. If they can come out top of that group, then they're in a really good spot to, to make top four, I think. And I think just with the fashion that they play in, they might be able to get away with it. Because like most of the, NA, the other NA teams that are used to it are down the bottom. So I think it's going to come down to if DZ's play style goes really well against like the G2 and BDS. But if they can finish it at the top of that group, I think they'll make a pretty deep run. Um, I don't know if they have enough to win it, but I think they've got enough to make top four. All right. Melly. Which teams? Which two teams go out from Group A? Which teams go out from Group B? Who makes the final four? Uh, for me, uh, Furia and Cyclops. I'm not gonna make. Uh, not gonna make it. Uh, group B. <laughs> Maybe Altiora and Makers. I, I don't know. I don't know about Makers because I, I haven't seen them play, and it's first land, so. Let's see what they are all about in this land. Uh, the f four teams, I, I think, it, I, I think it's gonna be uh, BDS, D two, uh, NAP, maybe Liquid, maybe SSG. If SSG goes to to the finals and TSM, oh, it's so hard, man. It's really hard to 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 predict the the. The last four, but to the to be honoring the the twenty twenty, I want I want I want to see SSG and NIP in the finals again. <laughs> okay. So SSG, NIP, D two, and TSM. Super. You get the final word. Uh, for Group A, I think Furia and FaZe don't make it. If not FaZe, Cyclops. Uh, I think FaZe are horrible. They shouldn't have even qualified, but the LATAM rules for their season and how they award points actually gave them way more points the second split than they should have had. I think FaZe actually finished like 8th or ninth in their uh, region, the second phase. Uh, they're pretty far down there. And then for Group B, I think Wildcard and Altiora uh, are out. I could see Wildcard maybe potentially sneaking in ahead of MKers just because Wildcard actually do have like a good amount of land experience. Um, for the top four, I think it will be uh, TSM. I think TSM wins everything, but I think TSM, SSG, Dark Zero, and NIP. Just wildcard have they've made two roster changes since last SI, so there's two that haven't been to land. Okay. Is it um they just play the wildcard's been playing on land though, right? Like the the thing they just played for the qualifiers was that on land? It wasn't okay. no 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 all online and they they lost to knights in the oceanic region. Yeah, yeah, but they've that. been in good form up until then. Um I think a bad day from them. But yeah, I think they have potential to make it out. It'll be close between those three, I think. It's going to come down to it, who can get a win against the other teams when they shouldn't. I think it could come down to, like, one game to decide that spot. So I guess that leaves me 
here to to make my predictions um i don't think any of us are really going to disagree all that much um for for group b i think altior is going to go out dead last um a i think that they are the least structured they have the least experience on LAN, and i i think that because of their roster turmoil I kind of agreed with you earlier, Seth, where you said it can go either way. Either they're going to come in and play really hungry or they're going to come in and they're going to be really overwhelmed. I think they're going to be going in and, and I honestly think they're just going to they're going to be super discouraged. They realize that the reality for them to, to play in the NAL is probably gone, if not almost all gone. Um, and, and I think that's it for LTR. I think they finished dead last. Uh, honestly, I want to say that I want to say that makers would join them. But I literally counted against makers every single step of the way. Uh, Wildcard is probably the smart money, but I'm gonna say I'm gonna say makers as well. I, I think that their run that they went through is is good, uh, but I think that the magic ends there. Uh, for Group A, I agree. I don't think Phase makes it. Uh, I, I think Phase and Fury are the two teams that are gonna go out. Um, I mean, I think best of ones will benefit both Phase and Fury. I mean, as as structurally bad as FaZe has been, this is still a team with Ion, Astro, and Yuna on it. I mean, I, I, they have so much experience, and they've played so well, and Astro can just absolutely consume games on land by himself. I think the supporting cast with KDS and, and Live's a little weaker, but at the end of the day, I think FaZe can probably squeak through. I think Furia probably goes out dead last, and then FaZe joins them, and if not FaZe, then yeah, it's probably going to be Cyclops. Um, we had high expectations of Cyclops going into Raleigh, and they ended up being, I think, statistically the worst team at Raleigh, despite us kind of thinking that they would be okay. So I'm a little bit hesitant to give Cyclops that nod. Uh, final four. Yeah. Sorry. Right. Oh, so they've come a long way, and I think five for five, they're better than FaZe. Possibly. I mean, the the thing here is best of ones for me, right? Like, if Astro gets hot for two or three games, I think FaZe can steal a match or two here, and that might be the difference to keep them in the groups. Like, FaZe might finish, you know, technically eighth, but they still live to see another day, right? So that's just where I'm kind of at. Um, Final four, I think we're all going to be pretty much aligned. I think NIP and TSM are, are no-brainers. Um, I think G2 makes it and, uh, I mean, I'm going to, I'm going to throw a curveball here. I'm going to say that liquid makes it as well. So I think it's going to be TSM, nip G2 and liquid in the finals. Um, I think that BDS and SSG have outside chances as well. I think a lot of people are sleeping on SSG. Um, but at the end of the day, I think the, I think the smart money is on that. And I've, I don't know. I just have a good feeling about liquid right now. I don't. I've had a good feeling about Liquid all year, so uh, those are my, those are my my final and top four. And we can. They lost. They sorry. lost three zero against MIBR in the BR six. Yeah, but I mean, uh, I think that. <sighs> it's the land, the land fact, you know. That, I, I know. I want to. I want to say. It's I, I know. I know. But it's just like the problem with me and Liquid is that Liquid is just they they either show up to an event and they stink and they get slaughtered or they show up to an event and they just look unbeatable until they have one really bad game and then they fall apart. Yeah. So yeah. It, I, it, it's so hard to gauge liquid. There's hmm? where I think a lot of the other teams are more, they have everybody. I feel like liquid is kind of like almost in a way like BDS where like they're really reliant on certain players to kind of pop off for them. 
and it's not like yeah. it's not necessarily like a shared load for everyone you know yeah i mean i know liquid is kind of the outside pick here uh my finals is is, is probably tsm nip that's my finals um right now i just i have no reason i have no reason to think that tsm is going to slow down and at the moment i think tsm is probably playing the best rainbow six across all maps and all sides in the moment and across the globe i think that bds is probably second but i'm i'm wary of how bds is going to do on land because Typically, they live and die off of Shiko on land. Now they've got Brede, so who knows how that's going to work. But if Shiko has a bad map or two, I, I'm still kind of, uh, I don't know if that's enough for BDS to go all the way. Which, the same thing applies for Liquid. Fair enough. I think G2 just has a deeper pool of players to rely on. Uh, I think BDS, we saw it, we saw it in, the, in the EUL, that you know when one or two of them falter, then that's sort of done and dusted. But I think G2 have enough depth in their lineup that if Kanto's been quiet, which has been the year for him, you know, Citizen and, and, and Virtue have been a really, really good addition for them and, and quite flexible in, in what they play. So uh, I think there's more depth there. I think if Kanto is is struggling, which which has been a bit of a pattern, he can be moved back a little bit and bring Virtue up because, you know, he started off playing more as support lineup and, and then moved back more towards his natural entry. Um so I think all in all for the depth that they need to run, I just think G2 has more horses to bet on. I think BDS uh, only have a two-pronged approach and I don't think it's enough to get you through SI. That's, that's kind of where I'm at with BDS as well. You just said they're the second best team. Yeah, but, I do, but <laughs> second best team, but to be the second best team going into the event doesn't mean you're going to be the second best team at the event. It's honestly hard for me to predict because like, the way it works, any of the teams could potentially play each other in the bracket, and I feel like certain regions match up with other regions better than others. So, like, I honestly think you could have up to, like, eight different teams make it to the Final Four, just depending on how the bracket works, because as yeah. we discussed, with best of ones, the bracket could be weird, and you could have, you know, I, I don't know, like, Liquid playing Dark Zero in the first round or something. Like, you could have some juggernaut matches like really early in the bracket which you know might mess up who actually makes the finals if g2 plays na teams they're gonna slaughter them and if they play brazilian teams they're gonna they're gonna falter that's always how that team has been in the group of players that i know from it uh, it's just something with brazilian players that just i don't know they, they read read how g2 plays as a group very well and na teams don't seem to do it and g2 the well both this roster obviously because they've never played na but even back from when we were Penta, we have never lost with that group of players against an NA team, ever. I mean, yeah. it could be the same for the APAC teams then as well. C9 and Cyclops play exactly like the Latin American teams do. They just throw bodies at you. You cannot have two people on drones against wow. some, of the, some of the APAC teams. Uh, last question before we go. We have, met, we have not mentioned a number of teams. MIBR came up as a strong contender. Haven't really said that much about them. Empire got mentioned as well. DZ got a brief mention. SSG. Virtus Pro hasn't been talked of at all. If our predictions are wrong, what's the one Dark Horse team that you think has the best legitimate shot to upset and make it either into the final four or possibly even the finals? Team oh. one. You think it's team one? Yes. 
they're young, they're hungry for uh, for a victory. Uh, uh, they want to to uh, uh, to show everyone uh, how good they they are, and maybe maybe Team One can be the the underdog. I'll stick to MIBR. I, I think that if, if they fire on all cylinders, anything can happen for that team. Uh, maybe Cloud9. I think, as usual, a lot of people won't watch APAC. Uh, we'll just base it off previous games that they've watched or experienced. I think, you know, Cloud9 has done really well in the region. Um, and I think the, the players have developed quite significantly. And they've always been pretty competitive and they've had some tough brackets at, at matches they have gone to so i think c9 have potential to be a dark horse i don't know if i better dark dark horses but i don't think they're kind of being mentioned for as good as they are and i would just go dark zero and ssg uh you know they, they've been mentioned but i like ssg is almost being like looked over as like they have no chance of winning and I, I disagree. I mean, if if you told me dark ssg won or made the finals again i would not it wouldn't surprise me at all and even the same for Dark Zero, like, y y even I give them shit for, like, doing bad on land, but they don't really do bad on land. I mean, even at the last invite, I think they finished top four or top six. So, like, I think they're obviously certainly a contender for the top four. Uh, I honestly think, like, this kind of goes against what you said, but I think OXG is going to be, like, super disappointing. Uh, and I, I think the, because they normally make, like, top eight. I think Fox A's teams have always gone, like, in that top eight area. I think they go out. I don't think they lose in groups, but I don't think they make it to. I don't think they make top eight for sure. Uh, I think they're in like a really weird place as a team right now. I I agree with you. I don't have a lot of faith in in OXG. When I look at these, when I look at these teams, like I don't I don't necessarily think we'll see deep runs from Cloud Nine, Phase, uh, OXG, VP. Like and then the bottom four, I like Cyclops, Makers, Altiora, Fury. I don't think we're going to see deep runs from them. You can add Wildcard to that as well. Um, the the sleeper pick for me, the no brainer is, is Space Station, just because we haven't talked about it. And you know, yeah, everybody's focusing on TSM, but it's like outside of some disappointing like online matches, Space Station when they try, and I don't think their performance in the NA League Finals the other week was trying at all. When they try, they're still able to hang with the best team. They're still able to hang with TSM, and they're still able to hang with DZ on their best days. I think that SSG, to me, is the no-brainer, but I'm going to go with Team Empire. Like, everybody's sleeping on Team Empire. They looked really good in the November Major. It seems like they've fixed a lot of their issues. This is a team where both Dan and Joystick on LAN are absolute fucking monsters, and it seems like they managed to fix the supporting cast behind them. And it would not surprise me if Empire makes Final Four. I don't think they will, but same with you, Seth. If somebody said that Team Empire made the Final Four, I wouldn't be too surprised. I will say if Team Empire is making the Final Four, I think that BDS and G2 probably are, and we end up seeing a really big European heavy finals. That That's where my head's at. So, you're welcome to disagree. I actually kind of want your opinion on that, Fabian. You haven't really talked about Empire. I don't know. It's just hard to see. I I feel like we have BDS and G two being just the two strongest contenders from Europe. I, I I disagree. Dark like like you you don't think that Virtus Pro can go deep. I think that almost all teams from EU can go fairly deep, depending on who they face, depending on how they show up at the day. Obviously, 
the only team I wouldn't say go far is makers from Europe, and everyone else could make top eight with some luck and also with their skill. Um, it's very hard to say, but there's so many teams that they, you can get those teams that, like we haven't talked about in top four. Well, all of those teams that we placed from maybe spot five up to ten, it's a toss-up. It depends on who plays who and which team is having a good week. Which map? Yeah, which there's so many factors into yeah. this. I, I say that any of the teams that I place from top one to spot number ten could win the tournament. They could. But then I just take it out of who I know and what I know from those teams playing, and I'll put them in a specific order. But it's in the end, I'll probably have zero out of out of four if I placed those four teams like that. I could put them well, say TSM first and BDS second. Well, if I miss those, then I'm zero out of two. But any one of the teams that I place one to ten, I think could win the tournament. If you show me a bracket after the group stage, I could have a completely different top four for sure. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, sure, regions match up better against each other. Even certain teams match up better against certain teams. So we're making predictions just based off of groups, but with the way they're seeding it, like literally, there could be any combination for the top four out of like 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 Fabian said, like a group of ten teams. Anybody could make it, just depending on how it's seeded. Yeah. We could also we could have like a first round where you know you've got TSM playing G two, and you've got like yeah, SSG I mean, like, playing it, Nip in like the it, first it, round. So if you look at B, you're almost guaranteed that you're going to have like Dark Zero or SSG or TSM playing like a top seed very early because all four of the best NA teams are in the same group except besides Dark Zero. So you could potentially have Dark Zero playing like SSG in the first round. Or, 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 you know, Liquid has to play SSG first round because, you know, all the LATAM teams are in A and basically all the NA teams are in B. You could have some weird brackets for sure. The only team I really don't see making is, 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 is Vitality. I don't see them making the finals, mainly because they're not in the tournament. Very yeah. Good. I, I was actually going to ask this. The, uh, if any teams that didn't make SI that you think deserve to be there but didn't make it? Uh, because I know that there's, I know that there's some some teams that, I know that there's some teams that probably are weaker than other teams in the world, and and I mean we can do that one really quickly. Are there any teams that didn't make it that you think not that you like? Because I know there's going to be people who respond to this who like, oh, I would have loved to see like, no offense, Dizzle, Fnatic there, but Fnatic were frankly they are just. <laughs> I'll go ahead and say that uh, Sonics with our roster before we benched anybody, we were better than OXG. We just never played them. And I think we would have definitely won the Invitational Qualifier. With our actual roster, obviously our org decided to go a different way, but I think we were probably the fourth best team. I Obviously, I don't think we would have won Invite or you know done anything crazy maybe, but I think we're better. I think that team was better than OXG. And I mean... There's no way in hell we would have lost to rent for your Altiora with like a practice team, in my opinion. It can be any region, uh, by the way. It can be any region. It doesn't need to be yeah. like it doesn't need to just be your own region. I think from from APAC, Xavier uh, Esports, they've um, I mean they're a menace. They they play the game at a completely different level, um, and they're probably better than. <laughs> 30% of the teams there. Um, it just came down to like them and Cyclops had a bloodbath to, to qualify. But, you know, Xavier have 
have beaten every single team from APAC and, and sometimes in convincing fashions, you, you know, they're, they're probably better than, than a lot of the qualified teams that are there. Um, I think the only reason they didn't make it is they had a really bad first split um, and didn't do too well. But after that, they nearly went like 10 straight, which is the same that Giants did on the back half. Um, so I think Xavier uh, would have been a really, not a dark horse to go deep into the competition, but they would have upset a lot of teams, I think, with how they play the game. Like, this is a team that, like, the last time we played them on land, it, it was a like, Finca Rushes, Blackbeards, like, they just come at you in ways you've, you've never thought of. And try, it is, when, when you have to call a timeout to, to, like, tell a team, hey, pick Doc, pick Rook, go your three armors, because you just have to win against an entire Finca boosted team rushing a breach. Like, cause sometimes that's all it is, right? Like, that's just how they play the game. And uh, it seems silly, but if you're doing a consulate hold and, and they just want to five-man rush you and one round it's from Yellow Stairs, one round it's from Garage, it's, it's, they're a very tough team to play against mentally to, to understand what they're doing. So I think they, should, they would have been a, a good team to watch, hopefully next year. Well, um... Uh, uh... Next time, I really want to see uh, INTZ in the Invitational because uh, they did really good in the in the qualify. They are a really good team. They have the best bomb retakes uh, on Latin uh, uh, Latin tournaments, the BRCX and majors. Uh, they uh, they have. Uh, 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 Strong, strong uh, players uh, that can play uh, um, in one v one, one v x situation. Uh, actually, uh, I was rooting for for uh, INTZ to to go to the invitation, but Fury got the the spot. Fabian, you're last. I don't know. If you didn't make it, you didn't deserve it. That's the way I see it. If you couldn't beat the teams that you were fighting against, you don't deserve to be there. Simple as that. Or you could just give another pit invite to me. I don't really mind that. Free money, free travel, you know. That's a cop out. I want a real answer from you. No, I'm, it's, I, I, that's the way I see it. If you if you couldn't make it, you shouldn't be there. That's as simple as it is, and that's how it should be for every tournament. I think it's a I think it's a normal viewpoint to have. When I look at the teams that didn't make it uh, from NA, if, if if we're imagining that the the teams that are being replaced are are makers, you know, Cyclops, uh, Furia, and Altiora. For me, I mean, Altiora is is Sonics with their old roster, but obviously that you blew up your roster. I mean, the fact that DG wasn't the team to make it out of NA is is super embarrassing, and I'm. I honestly think that rent free making the finals and people having, you know, being fans of Sweater and Yardy and stuff like that, combined with Altiora being the, you know, a Canadian representative, was a real boon because Disrupt in no universe should have lost that. I don't know how much you agree with me, Seth, but from the way that I see these teams play, the fact oh, that Disrupt, like when they heard that we weren't playing with our roster, like even though we did play, we had one script. Right. So like I we went into that not expecting to win. Honestly, we we're going to try our best. But we there was no way we should beat teams that were practiced for a year. So the fact that disrupt like somehow blew that opportunity to make invitational was like super embarrassing for them. I'm pretty sure they're going to make roster changes. I don't know if it's because of that. But yeah, that was like 
the cash flow had to be fuming because that was like basically a gimme. And they, you know, no offense to Beast Coast because, you know, Beast Coast announced during this podcast actually that they're going to be in NAL. But they lost to the team that got second place in Challenger League. Uh, and they're a pro league team. Obviously, that, that's pretty embarrassing yeah. to go to invite. Yeah, I mean, I think DG got... The fact that DG lost, I think, did... Like I said, it got overshadowed by the fact that people liked Rent Free and they were in the finals and that Altiora ended up ultimately winning because, obviously, people were pumped. Like, oh, a Canadian team made it. This is super cool. And the Altiora guys, obviously, they had, like, this meteoric rise over the last couple months to win the Canada finals and then also win the qualifiers. So, like, it's... It was cool, and and then you know you had Beast Coast, and the, was the the finals were Altiora rent no the Altiora Beast Coast were the finals. Rent free was yeah. in the semifinals. People were, I don't really think anybody was like super fans of Beast Coast. They're obviously in NAL for those that are listening to this I podcast. It's for sure. Sorry, I was gonna say I don't think anybody gave Beast Coast like a chance at winning that game. Yeah, I I didn't. I, I thought that it was going to be either rent-free or DG to make it. I thought those were going to be the two teams. And then Altior Beast Coast were the finals, and I was kind of surprised. But, um, yeah, I don't know how DG has escaped public scrutiny over that because it is, an, it is frankly, it's kind of embarrassing that they didn't win. All their fans are, like, bots, right? Because they have a fake follower account on Twitter. So, like, who? what fans would actually be upset? All their fans are fake. I think there's... A lot of other things going on in NA as well would have taken the uh, the attention. Yeah, that's true. I mean, orgs dropping left and right takes some of the pressures off, I guess. True that. Yeah. That's true. Uh, not obviously touching on their social media and their and their Twitter account. Um, but I will say from from NA, it should have been DG. Uh, when I look at LATAM, uh, I think INTZ is is the answer there. Or Estral. I don't know if Estral should have been there. Uh, I don't know if they're ready. And frankly, if they had made it, I think they would have gone out in groups no matter what. Um, it's it's always cool to see like a new region go. You know, like obviously when APAC started showing up, it was great. But then you had, you know, you had Ainz and Mantis FPS as the two teams in Sao Paulo. And they won a combined, what, one round between the two teams or something like that. Like, obviously, that's not great. Uh, it would have been cool to see Estral there, but at the same time, I, I don't think they go anywhere. They get bounced in the groups just as I, I, I honestly think Altiora is going to as well for the same reason. Um, from APAC, I'll also echo Xavier. I, I wanted to see Fnatic there. It, it feels weird to not have Fnatic be present. And I mean, my heart of hearts says I would have loved to have seen you be there. But you're playing on a lot of ping from Australia. You got a weird set of circumstances going on. Fnatic wasn't good enough to make it, and I don't think if you had to put them there... I mean, is, is there a chance you make it out of the groups? Yeah, honestly, I think if Fnatic just shows up to this event from an invite, I don't think they're one of the four teams to go home, but I don't think you make a deep run. Uh, I think that Xavier would have been a cool inclusion. Uh, and then Europe is really tough, man. Like, I don't think Makers should have made it. Um, do I think that Tempera deserved it? Not necessarily. You know, like it's it's so it's so hard because i think navi could have gone i think navi i think navi's got some serious issues but i think navi could have gone and i think they could have done well i think that vitality could have gone and i think that they would have also done well and i think both navi and vitality being present would place better than makers uh, i think that almost any of the eul teams going probably would end up with a better result than makers as well um 
but EU is really hard because I mean EU looks like the deepest region still right now so who knows the only way we would have made it is if God used his hand shoved it up my ass and used me as a puppet because we played like fucking garbage and we had no chance of getting there you into that kind of thing I mean as long as it's your hand that's not what I asked are you implying I'm God no just the fisting part I think that's the first time the word fisting has been used on our podcast, so excellent. <laughs> really appreciate that. You were the one who dived deeper into it. No. Just you... like into me. All right, well, that basically, big... that, that basically concludes the show. Everybody, you can say goodbye. Where can people find you? What do you want to say? What's your parting words before we conclude the show? Uh, let's start with Super, and then we'll just go Super, Melly, Dizzle, Fabian. Your outro, please. Where can people find you? And parting words for the fans. Uh, Twitch.tv slash super. That's All right. That, that's, that's it. Okay, Melly, you're up. You can, Melly, by the way, you can, you can say more, by the way. Okay, thank you. I <laughs> uh, just want to thank you uh, for the opportunity to be part of this six on six. On six. Uh, it's... Uh, it's really cool uh, to have the chance to uh, speak in my bad English. <laughs> uh, and you guys can uh, can check my uh, socials. It's uh, a little bit difficult for non-English, uh, for non-Portuguese uh, person, but it's Andrea Meligeni TV. Andrea Meligeni TV. You can check me out. And Twitter, uh, Instagram, uh, but in Twitch, I'm just Melijini. And that's it. Thank you. Do you want to say something to your fans in Portuguese, by the way? You don't need to say it in English. You can, you can happily speak Portuguese. Okay. Valeu todo mundo que chegou aí. Eu sei que muita gente estava aí no chat, falando com a gente. Eu estava lendo o chat o tempo todo. Estava bem divertido, bem engraçado. E... E vamos lá, vamos lá, vamos, pra, vamos partir para cima de Six Invitation aí, vamos ver se a gente consegue buscar esse título pra gente finalmente. Tamo junto, valeu. That's it. I didn't understand I a word. I don't think any that. of us understood a word, but I'm glad. I agree with all of it. <laughs> Thank you very much, Melly. Honestly, it was really nice to have you on here. Dizzle, your turn. Thank you. Uh, I guess Twitter, um, at Dizzle with a J. That'd be the best place. Maybe go show some love to our, our Fanatic Japan account as well, uh, at Fanatic underscore JP. Okay. And last but not least, Fabian, and you cannot speak Swedish. You can only speak English because I know you're going to say that's something awful racist, in Swedish. Isn't it? So. I don't, why is that? Because I, yeah, I, trust, kinda, I trust that Melly in Portuguese is not going to say anything bad. I know that if Fabian speaks Swedish, it's not going to be good. So I do <laughs> not trust him to speak in Swedish. Wow, I I expected more of you, Parker. No, you Swedish didn't. System. You did not expect more Public of me. Swedish system. Honestly, I think somebody needs to clip that and send it. To yeah, so that's actually messed up. I, I don't mind him speaking Swedish. Casual. I know he's going to go off the rails, and I'm trying to not get us in trouble. So <laughs> that's exactly why I'm. We not have already you. talked about a very specific sort of uh, sexual interaction. You think it can get any worse? You can talk, yeah, you can talk about fisting in English, but he can't talk in Swedish. <laughs> I didn't want to talk the... about fisting in the first you're place. The, 
You're, you're the talking one about who, it right now. You're still talking. And you're the one who led it down there as well. You asked if I was into it. That's not how I meant it. I didn't mean it about me. <laughs> so you're asking him about fisting with someone else? No, I'm telling <laughs> you it's somebody else doing it with him, not with me. Yeah, exactly. You, you want to know I about people fisting. I did not want to be involved in that. You keep talking about fisting. All right, Fabian, you can fucking speak Swedish if you want. I don't give a shit. Just say what no, you No, I'm not going to speak Swedish. Just Google me. That's it. I'm the best player in the world. Just Google me. Uh, <laughs> amazing, amazing. Hell of a way to end the show forever. This will be the last episode and we will never have another one ever again. That's it. Gentlemen, it was a real pleasure having you on. Three of you have been on here before. Dizzle, it is always great to talk to you. Thank you very much for waking up at 4 a.m. Your time as the show went live 5 a.m. where you live. I think that is a huge commitment, obviously. Bobby, and it's always great to hear your opinions because you, just like Seth, are incredibly unfiltered and both of you are going to give very honest conversation and very honest thoughts on all of these uh, players and teams. Seth, you bring an insight that is missing from a lot of conversations about NA. I appreciate it a lot. And Melly, you are one of the nicest people in the entire scene and more people who speak English need to be able to hear what you have to say because they are missing out by not speaking with you. So I hope, my Thank hope is, is that you made yourself a lot of English speaking fans because you've been around forever and you absolutely deserve it. So with that, that's the show. All of our socials are going to be down in the comments below. If you're watching this on YouTube, as always, like, subscribes, they really help us out. I'm going to try to do another six on six with Troy this time after the six invitational is done. But until then, we're going to go back on a break because there's an important event coming up and none of us are going to be able to commit the time that we want to it. Other than that, thank you very much for tuning into our 21st episode. It was a real pleasure. I hope you enjoyed it. Take care of yourselves. Enjoy the rest of your day, morning, evening, wherever you are. Stay safe and enjoy the Six Invitational. We'll see you then.